Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky. Ella's name is Ella. And today we are talking about Jennifer's body. Yes. Um, thank you for having me. I'm very, I'm very excited to talk about this. This is perfect timing for me. I am trying to write a paper about it. So, you know, it's all in the melon right now. Um, and well, this is a podcast, so you, they won't see, but you can see that I have a lovely little poster of, of Megan on the cover of Fangoria that's a classic right there exactly i know someone who has that as their um their profile on their like private and on their private twitter and i feel like i I didn't know what it was from yeah it's not an image that gets circulated like in i feel like it's usually like the the lighter flick the tongue one that's like the big one uh an underappreciated open jaw moment absolutely this is kind of a good time for me first of all i was gonna say that like it's definitely a good idea this being a show where a lot of the guests are in college to try to angle it towards what people are writing papers about <laughs> what you working on yeah exactly <laughs> but also this is sort of a good time for me to talk about Jennifer's body because I had just seen it uh the on Halloween Eve I had a I had a movie oh. night with some friends for the first time the, or for uh, it might have been the first time. It might have been the first time. I definitely hadn't seen it in a long time uh, before this. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we watched that and Bound and we were going uh-huh. to watch something. We we're going to watch something else, but I ended up going home before that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just watched it then. And then obviously last week uh, we had my friend Cody on the show and we were talking about Tammy and the T-Rex, but we brought up the fact that we would mm-hmm. like to do an episode just on Diablo Cody in the future. So yes, I don't know a lot of like, I know some of her history screening. I don't know. A lot. I haven't watched a lot of her other projects and I actually was going to watch one of some of other of some other of Karen Kusama's work. Mm-hmm. And I just realized I didn't know she was doing yellow jackets. Have you seen stuff about that? I it sounds familiar. The thing that I ha- have been interested in is that she's doing a Dracula movie. But oh, um, I need to see because she did like an anthology horror film. She's in that, and then she did Invitation. But the yellow yeah. jacket I only know about. There's some big names in it, but someone I went to high school is in it. And wow. Um, she plays the girl I know or went to high school with and I don't know her very well plays like a young Juliet Lewis in it and it's like I think it's supposed to be like a different take on Lord of the Flies possibly yeah I'm seeing this here it's um I just got I just realized I have showtime so I'm gonna try and give it a a watch later but I didn't realize that was Karen yeah she did the pilot and she's um she, she she did Destroyer, which is a really good movie. Mm. I, I don't know if you've seen. It's I got uh, Nicole Kidman is the lead, and it's like a kind of neo noir, like um, this this revenge kind of story. Mm-hmm. It's really like it's really dark, and Nicole Kidman is crazy good in it. Right. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Because she's getting back. She she wasn't doing a lot of film right after Jennifer's Body. I don't think right. She like kind of moved into TV or like indie stuff. Yeah, they, you know, she probably, I mean, you know, Jennifer's body it flopped. was a, yeah, yeah it, it, <laughs> it was a, flop, a commercial. It, it didn't exactly flop, but it, it, it didn't do what they wanted it to. And so she yeah. moved into, she was kind of not doing much for a while. And then she did like 
Halt and Catch Fire and sort of sort of came back that way. And mm-hmm. then yeah, Invitation was 2015. So decent amount it, yeah. of space there. Uh, so we can get into it here. I did not prepare any uh breaking news for our for our up top segment. So we're just gonna <laughs> be it's gonna be pure Jennifer in this one. And I have prepared, as I always do, some history yes. to go into. Yes, yeah. I, into. It'd be good to know too. I I watched a couple of interviews and I read a couple reviews from 2009 to try mm. and get like a sense of what people were saying when it first came out um I'm, I'm interested in it especially especially as in terms of like how people market horror films um I the paper I'm kind of writing is in relation to like a a text called men women and chainsaws by Carol Clover from the 90s that kind of is known for ter- uh, for coining the term final girl Mm. um but isn't really as feminine as feminist of a text as people kind of it's she's really looking at like why do men like why do young men like horror films are they identifying with the killer or with the um the victims who are largely women um and she's kind of talking about you know no one's really studying like box offices at at slasher films because they're not given or at least she's writing in the 90s about 70s horror films um but she's kind of largely saying like you know, men like horror films or like young men like horror films because they can identify, they because they end up identifying with the women killing. And I think Jennifer's body kind of provides like a little bit of a counter in which the marketing the young men really did not <laughs> was to the detriment largely of the film. Um, true. And that that's not really, that they're, they're not understanding it and like they're not really relating to it in that way. Um, so I think it's interesting to think about, you know, I don't know a lot about film marketing or anything at all, but this film specifically seems to have a very interesting and a lot of anecdotes about like just kind of insane inter- interactions with like marketing executives who are like Megan Fox hot, <laughs> like literally like that. <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about like, um, I mean, we can obviously get into this, but mm-hmm. I've been thinking about like even the difference between where the horror market was at in 2009 mm-hmm. and where it is today yeah 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 because I feel like there there was a quote that we'll get into where Diablo Cody was talking about um thinking this movie could be up for she was saying that she thought the movie might have a shot at uh best original song at the Oscars uh-huh. and and I was thinking about like how how this plays as an Oscar movie and it's interesting how like you know get out like like four years ago when Get Out mm-hmm. was nominated for all the Oscars, that was like a a, a huge deal because yeah, that was not something that no. ever happened for horror movies. No, I think like Silence of the Lambs is one of like the big. That's you know '90s. That was one of the big. It took a bunch there, right? Am I absolutely? Yeah. yeah. In our Silence of the Lambs episode, we talked about some of the some of the reasons that that was able to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Even in the past few years, just I think part of it is because horror is sort of the only space where people are getting a certain a a certain platform to make original movies and like smaller directors could reach wide audiences and make a a good amount of money Mm -hmm. but so even now relative to five years ago horror is part of that conversation Mm -hmm. in a way that it never was right 2009 yeah it's not I think for a long time especially like when slashers and stuff were being getting bigger in the 70s like it's not I mean, most of the people making those, like those, like, I mean, Halloween Fridays, like those were all like incredibly low budget. Um, and they weren't given like stand. I mean, now that they're thought of as like, you know, classics, but you know, when they came out, they weren't like 
no one was like taking them very, you know, they're like teen films yeah. or they're like not high art, you know, they're not given the same uh, credence in a lot of ways. I think especially when they're seen as like teen flicks in the way. Yeah, it's something that happens with any like, um, y- you know, genre movies as yeah. they're called. <laughs> but uh, And that's the class think... I'm in right now is Rona's genre class. Wow. Made there a little more, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I just think that... Um... Oh, what was I going to say? It was about, I also just think that there's a trend towards the Gothic in modern cinema. Mm -hmm. And I've started to develop this idea, you know, I was talking to some friends at this same night about what it means for something to be horror. And people are talking about horror movies that aren't really scary Mm -hmm. and how most movies aren't really scary. And I've sort of come around to the side of like any movie that's influenced by the Gothic is sort of under the horror umbrella. Mm -hmm. And today that's, you know, a lot of it. Yeah. Like if if you look at recent movies that even just have have one best picture like Shape of Water and Parasite, you know, there's there's a, a strong trend in that direction. Yeah, yeah. In all corners of the industry, I think. And it's interesting to talk about genre and Jennifer's body because when I was reading a lot of the 2009, a couple like review like I'm trying to think I tried to write down notes and then I got lazy. Um, mm-hmm. like ones from like the Atlantic or just like other publications and um. A lot of them, it seemed like a big point of contention for a lot of them was that it wasn't scary enough and it wasn't funny enough. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't commit to, which I don't agree with in watching it, but yeah. um, that like it didn't commit enough to them or something. Um, but I think horror and comedy have always gone hand in hand, you know, whether, even if it's not always like a straight up horror comedy, like there always is usually some leaning of comedy and horror, even if it's considered more just like a straight horror film like you kind of have to have it people respond that way I think to horror if they're you know uncomfortable or like it's true and I've seen I I saw a recent quote from Diablo Cody where she was saying that she thinks the movie would have been a tough sell even today because of that like yeah mixing of of tones with horror and comedy but I'm honestly not sure that I agree do you think it plays both well or do you think like it um, I, I think the horror elements can be jarring because to me it does feel like deep down it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I I struggle to think of a horror movie that I've seen and enjoyed that wasn't funny. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I don't know. I think, too, the horror, when like, uh, you know, upon rewatches and stuff comes more less in like the actual murders which are usually more and more in like her kind of descent and I mean people especially in the sacrifice scene like those are the more upsetting parts than like the actual like murder itself you know or like her actually like her killings um I think that's where more of the and I you know on rewatch I was noting too I think a lot of like the more upsetting moments um are not are like just like sudden like little bits of like yeah I'm just like the fact that there's like a fire and people get like trampled that comes out of like moments that kind of come out of nowhere mm-hmm. um more than like okay she's lured a guy into the fort like we know we all know what's going to happen here um yeah. and I think so there's some more success in in that upon rewatching. like oh there's some unsettling the horror is more in that I think than in like obviously I you know it's a horror film it's like a cult and all that stuff going on too but I think that's where more of the uh I don't know I keep doing some hands the unsettling stuff comes from um. so our story begins with uh a writer named Diablo Cody yes who in 2003 started an adult-oriented blog called the Pussy Ranch detailing her day job as a stripper Mm -hmm. 
This blog caught the attention of producer Mason Novick, who got her a book deal. That book, uh, Candy Girl, A Year in the Life of an Unlikely Stripper, was finished, and Novick encouraged her to turn it into a screenplay, but suggested she begin by writing a sample just to show studios like what she can do. And that sample, which she wrote in the Starbucks section of a Target over the course of seven weeks, was Juno. Juno. So Novick sent Juno to uh, his friend, director Jason Reitman, and he felt that he would regret it if, for the rest of his life if he didn't direct it. So he put his own spec script on hold to work on it. Oh, that damn. spec script would turn out to be uh, up in the air. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know that part of it. There you go. Uh, it's controversial subject matter scared off several major studios, and it was ultimately financed by John Malkovich and his production company, Mr. Mud. Thank you, John. <laughs> Here's a fun fact, though. There was a similar thing that happened with Jason Reitman's first movie, uh, Thank You for Smoking. I saw you sweeten them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing with Thank You for Smoking is that um, he took it to some of the major studios and a lot of them were like, can you give it a more like upbeat ending? It doesn't feel like it comes out like anti-smoking enough. And he's like, mm -hmm. you know, he dug his heels in about like what the movie was about. And after mm -hmm. the big studios refused to pick it up, he had to secure his funding from two executives from PayPal, David Sachs and Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> what a group what a group so what a what a younger elon musk did for not even young then but younger elon musk did for jason reitman john malkovich did for diablo cody and juno yes. juno comes out it's a massive fucking hit diablo cody wins an oscar yeah best original screenplay and Fox immediately like on spec picks up the next project from Cody and Reitman which is a script that she has written called Jennifer's Body. Uh, yeah so it's kind of like this total like dream for you know it's kind of like okay I've got this power like this is a script I've always wanted to write like now's yeah. the time. Th this um, is her blank check. Yeah which I mean what a way to go. I, did you see it when it came out? In, or, I mean, well, we couldn't see it in theaters, obviously we were 10. Right. Did you, did you, like, do you, I was trying to think too back, like if I remembered, I remember seeing trailers for it for sure. Definitely. I don't, I didn't get to see it though when it came out. I feel like, um, especially because the marketing for it was so like sexy, like this is, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I watched an insane amount of horror films as a kid, but for some reason, like sex was like the, you know, more than, which I've, is in many horror films, but was for some, you know, that's like more of a tipping point for parents, I think. It's like, yeah, violence, but like sex. So I didn't get to. I, I had a lot of uh, sensory issues as a kid. And I think mm -hmm. 2009 was probably the point where I was not even really going to well no because I saw Wally in theaters and that was 08 so so yeah I was going to movies by that point but um the first PG-13 movie I saw in theaters mm -hmm. was uh the other guys were so uh, <laughs> it was definitely not on my radar yeah I yeah I like I remember kind of like seeing the ads for it I'm almost positive I remember watching like the makeout scene on YouTube or something <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> along with like Black yeah. Swan you know I'm sure that was a fun little game I played in like the middle school computer yeah. lab but I was definitely a little bit aware of it and I feel like my memory I feel like even at the time it came out my memory of it was hearing from people that like oh maybe this is good actually oh. like, like you know it's had this this slow progress to where it is now but even though it was 
it didn't do well with critics or audiences at the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like my first memory of it was like, oh yeah, Jennifer's body. People say that's people say that's actually pretty good. See, I feel like I remember hearing or maybe not people I knew, but just feel like hearing that it like wasn't a good and so I like was like, okay, I guess I, I'm 10, I'll watch something else. <laughs> um I didn't watch it until 2017 is when I first watched it and I watched it for not for a class but like research I was doing for another class on uh, lesbians in horror or like that's the context I like first watched it in which it would have been when it was starting to get like because there was those articles too like um, I'm I'm misquoting the names but like why we should apologize to Megan Fox or you know what I'm talking yeah um yeah and I think that was probably around you know those were coming out and it was starting to pick up more um, stamina. And I think, you know, 2019, it's 10 year anniversary. There was a lot of press around it for sure. Um, and kind of now it's, I feel like I see it everywhere. Um, or I see it a lot online. It was added to the uh, Criterion collection oh. um, I, I, this year or last year. So it's oh, definitely nice. like, it's made it all the way there for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Did you, um, trying to think what other little notes I had from have you seen the inter- the 2019 interview with Diablo Cody and Megan Fox seen I don't know I might have quotes from it yeah so I think that was kind of one of the first things that I like watched that was like gave me some of that context for the um a lot of the stuff that was happening on the marketing end and then just yeah how like you know Diablo Cody's career after that she had she had some other what was that there's one with like Charlize Theron right young adult something like that uh yeah her next big one was uh young adult and um i i, I have her whole thing up here she did the same year as jennifer's body she did united states of Terra. uh young adult was her next movie and then she did paradise which she also directed um and then ricky and the flash and tully and now she's doing a madonna movie oh like a madonna biopic or yes a madonna biopic that madonna herself is involved in oh Madonna's from uh from your area, right? Yeah, she's Michigan. From neck of the woods. She's from the the British part of Michigan. So <laughs> <laughs> you like the movie, right? You, you're are you a you? A yeah, I, yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, there's there's a lot more to get into here, yeah. but I was just gonna say that um it's weird. I I definitely feel like by the time uh I, I was probably a little early to the Megan Fox reassessment, um, just because I was in like the, you know, the Tumblr adjacent communities yeah. where people were sort of getting on that train uh earlier. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like my my vibe with Jennifer's body was always like but there was never a moment where I was surprised to learn something about Jennifer's yeah. body, you know. But um, yeah, I I did like it. Like I said, I don't remember if this, you know, a couple weeks ago was the first time I actually watched it in full. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly the first time that I recall. But uh, yeah, I like it a lot. And I have a lot of thoughts on it that, we, yes. <laughs> that we're going to get into. Let's, and what yeah, it's, let's what dive it's about. into it. Like I said, Jason Reitman was going to direct Jennifer's Body. That was oh. part of the initial, the initial deal Package. with Fox. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, and then he exited that to work on Up in the Air, and he was repla- and he replaced himself. He was still on as a producer, but uh, Karin Kusama, who had previously done uh, Girl Fight and the Eon Flux movie with, <laughs> with Charlize Theron, who was then in Young Adult. Yeah. <laughs> Diablo Cody describes how she intended to play with the two-sided representation of women in horror. It can be like empowering and exploitative at the same time. Mm-hmm. One film she particularly cited as an influence was The Lost Boys. Now she wanted to do kind of a 
kind of a, a version of that for women. Mm-hmm. She enumerates aspects of the teenage girl experience that the film plays off of, you know, puberty and this these devotional sort of almost parasitic friendships, uh, body image issues. And then Karin Kusama says, here, I have a quote here. I think a lot of horror is about femaleness, whether it's Carrie or Rosemary's Baby. I feel like there's a lot of fear of the female or kind of celebration of it in some weird way. And something about this movie managed to take the fear and the sense that it's the female that ultimately survives and sort of marry that in a really interesting way. And I think to hearing um, Diablo Cody talk like in a, you know, in more recent years too about it, maybe with some um, distance, she talks a lot about how, like, you know, I mean, she's also someone who has, like, given herself a pen name. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's not her real name. I can't remember. Do you have, I know that I it's, know it. Is it it's Brooke with, Busey. Okay, I know it starts with a B. <laughs> um, you say Busey? Brooke Busey? Brooke Busey, yeah. It's kind of a fun name. Um, but she kind of talks about, you know, she took on this alter ego of sorts for herself in her career. And how, like, Jennifer is kind of that. Like, she's like, I am inherently a needy. But like I became a Jennifer in my own way when I was like mm. winning these, like, you know, I won an Oscar, like I was, you know, um, kind of had to like present this other persona of myself. And I think that's interesting. And then Megan Fox has talked a lot about how the film was, re- I mean, she said that like, she's like, I think I was like kind of the only person who could do this role. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting thing too about where she stood at, at the time in the industry or right after and right, you know, during, um, and kind of like what she looked like and how that, this kind of role was, you know, something similar for her. And, you know, there's like this role being played like a larger than life Jennifer-esque persona that both of them mm-hmm. were kind of taking on in their own careers at the time. I remember watching a red carpet interview with Megan Fox a few weeks ago where she, where she was asked what character from her career people like come up to her and talk to her about. And she mm-hmm. said, it's definitely Jennifer. Yeah. Because- and she said this thing about how Jennifer is like her alter ego, mm-hmm. which, you know, yeah. and, and this was her on the red carpet with Machine Gun Kelly, you know, kind of doing the uh, characters. Yeah. So I feel like there's another layer. To, it's interesting to, yeah, seeing her, and that's a whole nother podcast, but her, uh, her, <laughs> her public persona right now, very interesting. Um, yeah. Very, very Jennifer-esque, I think. Yeah. There's some, <laughs> just some layers there. Um, yeah. I'm very, I also am very interested in the, I don't know a lot of the history in terms of any like disputes with it, but the title itself is mm-hmm. a whole song. Um, and I think I've read that, I wish I wouldn't be surprised that Courtney Love was like, I wasn't credited for this or something. Uh, Courtney, yeah, that wouldn't surprise would me. Would not surprise me. Would <laughs> not, not at surprise all. me. <laughs> um, and I was, it's ironic, it's not in the soundtrack. Another whole song is not the act of the song. And you know, reading even the lyrics too, which I... I could pull up there's I mean she says that it's I think she says that it was just in name that it is taken from but mm-hmm. there is an interesting sense of like destroying yourself in that song as well mm-hmm. um and there's a whole song in Juno very briefly when Jason Bateman and Elliot Page are playing the guitar upstairs and they first meet they are playing doll parts right, which took me yeah. a long time to realize because it doesn't sound like doll parts again but a little Hulk. I mean, there's, and there's definitely, there's, I mean, there's multiple crossover actors from Juno and, um, and Jennifer's body. Yeah. yeah. They, um, I mean, 
I was just talking about how she wrote Juno in a target in like yeah. seven weeks. <laughs> and you, you know, I, I, I think it could, you could definitely think about, I don't know how, how she writes generally, but you can sort of imagine her like just sort of seeing a title and being like, Oh, I'm going to put that in. Or just mm-hmm. like, as she's, you know, she does a lot of like pop culture references yeah, and all sure. scripts, obviously. So just like, I, I, I think she's sort of influenced by everything that, that she consumes. Do you think, like, because that was another thing I read, too, in a lot of, like, 2009 interviews, was that they didn't feel like her dialogue fits in the world of, like, mm. the, uh, doesn't didn't fit, or that it's too one-liney, or, like, you know, it's too, like, zinger, but I, I don't feel like I need realistic, like, hyper-realistic yeah. dialogue in that film. Like I said, I kind of see the film as fundamentally a comedy, and so yeah. I feel like the dialogue is the world. Yeah, and I think like it, they fit very well to like I never am watching it and like oh this like this is really jarring like I feel like you just kind of yeah. accept it especially with the delivery of it mostly on Megan's part like I think it's um, kind of core you know as like I said like it is the world yeah I mean Diablo Cody has talked about how she kind of originally conceived of it as just like a slasher mm-hmm. and then as she was writing it she kept writing these funny lines and yeah. uh, it just sort of turned into a comedy she said I have a macabre sense of humor a lot of the things in the movie that are horrifying are funny to me mm-hmm. and you know I think that does come through the idea that like the horror of the movie is also funny and yeah. the funny things about the movie are also horrible and then there's this aspect of like you realize you're laughing and you're like oh it's kind of fucked like yeah Absolutely. Especially, I think, like I already said it, but especially with the sacrifice scene, which um, Prank's not like they, you know, multiple people have kind of talked about that that was difficult to film. And I know even just like I have a lot of friends who will say, like, oh, like I'll watch that with like, I don't know if I need to gender, but I've had friends who be like, oh, I'll watch it with like a guy and they'll like think that scene is really funny. And then I'll watch it and I'll think, oh, this seems really messed up and like really upsetting. And I think it's, you know, I think it is bolt like, it's funny yeah. because, you know, I mean, it's premise, like they're sacrificing someone so that their indie rock band can get like <laughs> fucking famous. Um, but then it's also like, you know, a teen girl being like, you know, def- I think there's a lot of, I'm, I'm kind of writing about this partly as like how it fits in a lot of horror genres. And Rape Revenge is an interesting horror genre that doesn't get, you know, I, I don't know a, like an insane amount about it, but um it's one that's usually deemed pretty low brush. Like I know I spit on your grave is kind of like the big, big uh, rape, rape revenge film uh, being mentioned. I think you watch the um, sacrifice and there's definitely, I mean, there's illusions throughout or not even illusion. I mean, it's referenced like, are you, are you going to assault me? Are you like, um, yeah. And then with needy's revenge and with there's definite elements of the rape revenge in there, along with the occult and with the slasher, like it really does. Um, it's not sticking solely to one genre. Sure. Let's see. Just uh, real quick. What else do I have here before we get into? Give me the info. Give me the deets. Yeah. Let's see. The film opened to a lukewarm reception from critics, the 45% on Rotten Tomatoes, underwhelming box office performance. It made $32 million on a $16 million budget. Cody and others have blamed the film's marketing, which catered almost entirely to a young male audience. Mm-hmm. Other reasons given for its underperformance included its R rating, the blending of horror and comedy, and the general trend away from like star power as a box office draw. Mm-hmm. The same week, um, Matt Damon put out The Informant and Jennifer Aniston put out, I think, Just Go With It. And those were both mm-hmm. flops. So like there was sort of a, the the message taken away from the week overall was that like you can't sell a movie on just having a name in it anymore. yeah um going in at like just a couple like anecdotes from the box office or the marketing of it um 
Diablo Cody said a couple times that she has one of the like test screening response cards saved in which someone mm-hmm. wrote um, needs more boobs, but it's spelled M-O-A-R and then boobs are spelled <laughs> B-E-W-B-S. <laughs> which takes me way back. Oh yeah, uh, what a time. And you're like, oh, it's more boo and and Karen, Karen, is it Karen or what is it? Oh, I've been uh, saying I've been saying Corinne, but it could definitely I be Karen. I've heard both, and I don't know which is the correct one. <laughs> yeah, it's probably fine either way. Her and Karen, she said too. Like, I mean, they've her and Diablo Cody both said that, you know, like you know, kind of frustration responding with marketing execs. But she said in like the, one of the first trailers that uh, I mean, Safrin's like not in it. <laughs> like she wasn't yeah. in the trailer and <laughs> Karen Kusama kind of wrote this email like guys like you know that there's a like there's a whole like she's like the lead like there's this plot like how do you take her out of the um and then got a response to us along the lines of literally like Megan Fox hot more Megan like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like like no sentence like not full sentences just that, that you know um yeah and that the test audience, like you said, was mostly guys 18 to 24 that like, and then apparently also they like tried to bring in a bunch of Juno fans and, but not really knowing like those people, not really knowing that they were going to go watch a horror film. Right. Um, yeah. And they're not, you know, like, you know, not the same movie at all. Sure. At least totally like, you know, you don't expect the same things from them. So they definitely played on. Yeah. Diablo's success too with Juno in a way that like people expecting the same kind of like Heart, this like heartwarming and it's you know not yeah as we get into it I do want to kind of be thinking about the idea that this movie was intended to be a follow-up to Juno mm-hmm. and uh I, there's another angle that I'm going to bring up as it becomes relevant but um yeah that is something that I think is worth considering because really a lot of Diablo Cody's movies are kind of in conversation with each other that way. Mm-hmm. People have talked about Young Adult as a follow-up to Juno and um, Cody was talking about how uh, Tully is a really strong follow-up to Juno. Like, like That one has to do with pregnancy as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and Tully has sort of generally been called kind of a spiritual sequel to Young Adult. So like, mm-hmm. like everything does sort of flow together and Jennifer's body is often seen as separate from that conversation. But I wonder if, we I think there is connect- more, to, more yeah. to get out of it, yeah. Well, yeah, and I think I, I, she mentioned something too in one of the interviews I was watching. She's like, when she was talking about, you know, recruiting Juno fans in, in, the, test, in the test screens, you know, not expecting horror films. She's like, oh, well, you know, Juno in its own way, like unexpected, pre- you know, taken, if you had taken it a different way, an unexpected pregnancy, or I mean, pregnancy is a huge thing in horror, especially yeah. if you're looking at body horror. So, you know, I mean, obviously it's not made as a horror film, but like, yeah, I'm interested to hear more of your thoughts on that as we... As we delve into it. Absolutely. So the movie opens. Yes. And we're first introduced to Needy in an institution mm-hmm. with a pile of letters and stuffed animals and gifts all around her. And her and, bunny uh, slippers. Her, her bunny slippers. Yeah. <laughs> and we get this, the, the very first line of the film, every day I get letters. I think I get more letters than Santa Claus, Zac Efron, and Dr. Phil combined. I'm kind of the shit. I've thought, especially in rewatching more recently, the opening is very interesting to me, especially as it goes on, because jumping ahead just slightly and then we can go back, you know, so that's our first introduction to Needy. And then moving into our first introduction to Jennifer, I think the way the, we see her the first time is very interesting because she's framed as a victim. Like she's being like stalked or watched in her room by Needy. Mm-hmm. Um, Needy yeah. She's like physically kind of, you know, she's like kind of scabbing. She doesn't look well. 
um she's like lying on her bed i love the shot too because like the fallout boy poster in the back i don't know it yeah. feels very nice um so it's very interesting to me that this film starts with needy being presented in a very different way in a very different light than she exists for most of the you know yeah and kind of the same with jennifer that she is almost presented as like a victim or as like someone you know like she feels like from a lot of the shots like from her being watched from her bedroom like she's about you know she's attacked like we know it's not the full picture there's more going on but this kind of role reversal that is happening right away. Yeah, the first we get, the, the, the first we see of Needy, and Needy is our protagonist, but the first we see of her is that she's really popular and confident. Mm-hmm. And she is she is locked up. And violent, you know? yeah. And violent, I mean, she powerful, yeah. Like, she's aggressive. She's, yeah, confrontative, you know. Yeah. And we, you know, she gets pretty quickly too. I didn't, I wasn't always like this, but it sort of sets us up to almost think that even rewatching it, it sets us up to think that the, the her whole experience throughout this movie was, could be seen overall as a positive. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like she, you know, grew from it in, you certainly gained a lot of confidence from it. And I know you're in prison, but you see. Yeah. Are you doing great. Yeah doing great she's about to break out in uh you know a a few minutes after when we see her so like you know she's feeling good but um it's interesting to think about I I look back on it and I'm like she's getting letters I you know because it's the assumption then that she is has been like you think um like they've associated that she's responsible for all the murders I'm assuming would be the assumption because they don't ever really address that and it's not really an important thing but like I wonder if you know that is sort of my assessment. I mean, in the end, you know, she's caught killing Jennifer. Um, but I, I, I guess sometimes murderers, you know, have fans. That is yes. something that happens in real life. Or this, this, she says it's a lot of people like praying for me, right? Or um, or telling her to pray. Telling her to pray, yeah. Yeah, I um, I wonder if it's like they. Hmm. It feels like there must be an element of of, of people thinking that she's innocent or she's she's some some kind of hero or martyr even though it it would seem that the idea is that she killed i mean she did kill jennifer um but i I don't know the the only way that i kind of make sense of it is that they she's become popular for some reason that people are maybe it's her loss and the fact that she's so connected to Mm -hmm. the tragedy which will which we'll get into but yeah it is it is another little interesting little thing that uh, that she seems to have a lot of fans. And another interesting, I mean, just casting wise, Amanda Seyfried is needy. She would have also had a pretty, I mean, Mean Girls, and it's a couple years earlier, but like she would have also had a pretty, is Mamma Mia's later? Mamma Mia's right yeah, around. Yeah, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia's the same year. She had just done, uh, she obviously, she got big off Mean Girls and then yeah. she got a few big TV roles from that. And Big Love was the show that she was on that she like got a ton of acclaim for. Mm-hmm. It was basically off of that that she got Solstice and Mamma Mia and Jennifer's Body all at once. So she's also was kind of on the the up and up. Yeah. With Megan Fox, I mean, Transformers came out in July of 2007 and she was cast in this in October of 2007. Yeah. And then all the... Uh, Transformers downfall was like not long after this, right? Her being pulled from the third. Yeah, the second one came out uh, she quit. She in quit. 2009. So and, um, she quit after the third one. Yeah, so it adds up. So yeah, just an interesting piece. Um, I mean, like you said, also the star power thing wasn't really working as a poll though for moviegoers or like as a main marketing. Yeah, and when you think of like, certainly Megan Fox was marketed as the star, and I think it made sense to give Megan Fox her own vehicle at this moment. I wonder if giving her 
a different kind of vehicle might have meant different things for her career. Just yeah. because, I mean, you know, horny young dudes were part of her fan base for sure. And they were trying to, they were trying to market this that way and it really wasn't there. But um, right. I think maybe, I think maybe whatever she had done would probably have been marketed that way. And yeah. That was just kind of where she was stuck at the industry in the industry at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have, we start off with this, uh, and we don't know anything about her power yet, though. Like, she's powerful, but not supernatural at this point. She's still... Yeah, she's got scars on her body. She's got a photo of Chip by her window. She talks about how she prays, but it doesn't seem to help. Mm-hmm. The quote is, nobody comes back, nobody gets off the cross, which is very meaningful <laughs> now that I think about it. But, uh, yeah, she sucker punches an orderly and gets put into solitary confinement. Uh, she says in voiceover that she used to be normal, and the quote mm-hmm. is, but after the killings began, I started to feel, I don't know, loose around the edges or something. Which is interesting in its implication that something changed about her as soon as the killings Killings began. began And not just the change that we know, or that is to come with Jennifer. Yeah, just something to think about there. And then uh, a song plays over the loudspeaker on a rewatch. It's it's a Muzak version of Through the the Trees. trees. (laughs) (laughs) I love watching this back and just seeing how Through the Trees is in like every every scene. scene, And it makes you by the end of it be like, oh my God, I want to fucking strangle someone. Um, It's got good, the movie's got a good soundtrack. It does. And um, I have some great, I have some great quotes about that, actually. Just, oh, yeah. Just, I love Diablo Cody. She has so many great lines. Um, it's interesting because it, um, that moment of 2009 to, to yes. have all these, like, all these, like, pop punk acts on the soundtrack, it's like, a yeah, year he, later, that doesn't work. No, yeah. <laughs> and to have, like, yeah, like, Panic at the Disco, I mean, new, new Perspective is just for the soundtrack, right? Yeah. Um, toxic Bounce. I mean, there's a lot of, like, I did, bur- yeah, I did burlesque to one of them. <laughs> we did a... Um, to Cobra Starship, their little right. ditty in it, um, and then, but then, of course, there's also still Hole and some other like Diablo Cody's like '90s her music taste there. Yeah, I think it really, you know, it, it it's it can sort of be seen as the like closing chapter of that 2000s like emo era. Yeah, what an and what an era it was. Um, yeah, glad it got it. Yeah, even I mean, we see you know, you see the Fall Out Boy poster very prominently. Not not yep. too far into the film. Um, yeah, the um, the the rumor has always been that they tried to get Pete Wentz for the lead singer role. Like they wanted him for the um, for Adam Brody's character. Yeah. yeah, I can. What? Okay, this is dumb on my part because I know I recognize him. What else is Adam Brody in? Uh, so at this time, he was known for his roles in Gilmore Girls okay. and DOC. Uh, he's done a lot since then. He he was really good in Shazam. He had a minor part in that, but I'm trying to see, like, he, he's one of these guys who's just always showing up and shit. In kind of random, yeah. Yeah, he was also in Thank You for Smoking with Reitman. Oh, okay. He was in uh, so Mr. and Mrs. Smith, connection uh, Ready or Not. Not. Like, yeah, he's... Uh, He's all over the place. The I will say too, the casting in this, the side character cat, like I mean, Amy Sedaris, like J.K. Simmons, like there's a lot of good. It's to me that there's J.K. Simmons and Johnny Simmons in this, but um, it's true, unrelated. The universe of it has a good, good cast. Yeah, and J.K. Simmons obviously was also in Juno you know? and was also in Thank You for Smoking, so he was he was someone who was basically on board right away. Another side, uh, Chastity, one of the. 
uh, low shoulder super fans at Moody and Jennifer's high school, I believe is the same actress who plays Su Chin in Juno. Little. That's right. That's right. Another little in there. Um, so the quotes I the quotes I have mm-hmm. about um, the soundtrack. Yes. Uh, these are all from Diablo Cody. The first one talking about how it was sort of the end of the pop punk era is maybe Jennifer would get sacrificed by Post Malone today. No, <laughs> <laughs> <The> Post. <laughs> He's had his own like run with the occult. Has is he the one that had all this saying all this stuff that he was being cursed? Is that him? Uh, a couple years ago, did he have like a? I think I remember reading something where he's like, I keep getting in like car accidents and having all these things. And I think I'm like, I got cursed at like the Annabelle Museum or something. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I, I could see Post Malone doing really well in a, a version of this movie today. Cody's quote about Through the Trees is, I think Through the Trees slaps. I think it's kind of iconic. <laughs> it, it is, I, mean, I mean, by the end of the movie, you don't want to hear it anymore. But I think on its own, like, had that just come out as a song into, I would have definitely listened to it. It would have. Yeah, she talked about the idea of maybe putting it out as a single as part of the promotion. And mm-hmm. she also said the line about the Oscars that I was talking about was, I honestly and sincerely thought that we might be an Oscar contention for best original song. And I was licking my chops because I wrote a lot of those lyrics and then nothing crickets bullshit. Who won it that year? Let me see. Let's, Let let's, me see. let's give a gander who the competition was. Let's see. It looks like it was the song The Weary Kind from Crazy Heart. And the other nominees were two songs from Princess and the Frog, a song from uh, the French film Paris 36, and a song from Nine, the, Nine. the Rob Marshall musical Nine. Oh, I thought you're <laughs> talking about... There were two movies called Nine in 2009. <laughs> the animated, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> sack doll thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, that one, that was a contender. <laughs> yeah, there were there were. You're talking about the Fellini with the... the yeah, this is the Fergie. Fellini one with uh, with Fergie and Penelope Cruz. Yeah, uh, so well, <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely, I would have liked to see that go to through the trees. Yes, and now getting back into the film. Yes, flashback to where the where most of the movie takes place. We mm-hmm. she's from Devil's Kettle, Minnesota, where a waterfall into a mysterious hole from which nothing returns. Uh. Or actually, things do return as we find we, out. We just don't know yet. We just don't know it yet. Um, yeah and we get this uh horror movie footage of jennifer's house mm -hmm. which has a tire swing in the front yard and a horse in the backyard (laughs) as everyone's does yeah and yeah this kind of peering in as she's like vacantly on bed watching uh exercise video yeah yeah. workout video and we are we're getting like close-ups on her like kind of deteriorating like she doesn't look good she's uh yeah her skin's off like there's something off about her already yeah, for me, like watching it the first time and even watching it over, just like I don't I didn't get the impression right away that she was like in bad shape, just that she was like, I don't know, maybe maybe depressed and just, yeah. like, you she's, know, lying she's down not in perky. bed. Yeah, she's not uh, perky enough, just which is an interesting contrast to the image that fades in, like that she fades into, which is her like very upbeat and doing her color guard. Yeah, we see the... Um, we get these yearbook shots that establish in quick succession that she's a cheerleader, that Needy works for the school paper, and that that Chip is a band uh, guy, even though that's not um, mentioned specifically. It's so interesting to me how in this voiceover that Needy does, she does not reference Chip, like, at all. No. She doesn't introduce him. But he's there. Yeah, she's like, we were our high school yearbook pictures, but, like, 
she's not really talking so you know i mean shown but she's not giving him yeah and in the first scene where she talks to chip you sort of like you sort of don't even know that they're dating until they kiss and then you're, you're like, like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> whereas the first time she looks at jennifer and then immediately gets made fun of <laughs> like yeah you guys are totally uh, chastity. Lesbian. yeah yeah <laughs> chastity breaks that uh that trance to call them lesbian yes. yeah um and just completely mock them so like I mean, like, we know from the start, like, this is the relationship we're following. You know, I mean, Chip and me, this is definitely a piece, uh, you know, a significant piece throughout, but Jennifer and me is always the... Yeah, and yeah, there's always an interesting kind of emphasis on Chip, even in that introduction where, like, it's going through the yearbook mm-hmm. photos, and then it stops at Chip's photo, and that's what takes us into the into the. He's always, the, yeah, he's always a piece of it, even if he's not being, like explicitly i mean like you mentioned earlier like there's a lot of this kind of uh teenage girl friendship that's like slightly parasitic you know like it's not yeah it's sort of not, obsessive yeah and especially with chip like there's this like gel i mean there's like more of like a casual jealousy within that he takes up needy's time at the beginning um and then also just the sense of like jennifer needing to have everything that needy had or you know like he's kind of this like there's a little bit of a tug of war at times with Chip in like who is getting his, or not who's getting his attention, but like his relationship to, to Needy is always a point of contention for Jennifer in some ways. Absolutely. He's, he's definitely and an interesting character in the film that doesn't really get yeah. brought up a lot when people talk about it. <laughs> and I haven't, I, I haven't even like, even in mentioning how important he is, I haven't thought about what he really what means he really for means the movie's for the, message. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But so uh, Jennifer invites Needy to the Los Shoulder show. Mm-hmm. Um, the lead singer is extra salty, she says. The salty thing, I, it's kind of cute how, how I, I feel like part of the reason that even though it feels of its time in a lot of ways and sort mm-hmm. of intentionally so, it doesn't feel like it's trying really hard to be hip because Diablo Cody just sort of invents slang that never existed. The, yeah, exactly. To- <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. not using like what we would have been saying in... I'm now I'm trying to think what we would have been saying to those sometimes. She's not using that. It's I mean, it's definitely her own, but it does feel like it fits. Uh Needy is getting ready. Yes. And uh she's putting on her rock outfit, chip because <laughs> you can see her, her womb, womb, which isn't <laughs> Which is really good. She doesn't know who Phil Collins is. Yeah, she doesn't know who Phil Collins is. Uh, but uh, Jennifer <laughs> would be interested in him if he was Phil Collins. Uh, <laughs> sure. um, uh, says salty means beautiful. And Chip says, well, you must be soy, soy sauce, sauce, babe. <laughs> babe. <laughs> Jennifer and Needy have this great, like when Jennifer shows up, they have this like, push. you know, the push fight. And they're it gets saying, really yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, it ends with Jennifer saying "fuck you" and slamming her against the door. <laughs> I mean, and then that's of course the very famous. It smells like Thai food in here. Smells you like guys been fucking? It's uh, <laughs> a classic. <laughs> As we all talk. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm always saying that. Uh, Chip says that uh, everyone at Melody Lane has a mustache, which is really good. <laughs> and then yes, we do go. To Melody Lane. Lane. See, my something I wanted to bring up because I think uh, you know it's some someone else is in this film who people forget is in this film, but is big right now. Chris Pratt. Chris you Pratt, know, if we yeah. want to talk about a role that Chris Pratt played, play that's probably just very close to Chris Pratt as a person. Maybe it's yeah. maybe it's this like wannabe cop. Yeah, a pretty good, even though it's just the one scene. 
you know, I think he sells it. <laughs> I, I, I think he's 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 a funny pick for that part. And I think like there's there's you know sort of a brilliance in putting him there. This was like early Parks and Rec era, so it was pretty much an unknown when he was doing yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think he's fitting. Uh, he's uh, Jennifer's cop boyfriend who uh, is is not uh, fully a cop yet, but no. <laughs> is getting there. Yeah, let, let's we can leave Chris Pratt to those <laughs> to those roles maybe. Um, yeah, hey, hey, he's good at it. <laughs> There's also the foreign exchange student I met. Yes. Uh, at Melody Lane, I believe becomes important. Diablo Cody is. Am I insane? Or is she the is she the bartender? Oh, I didn't. I, I don't think I got a good look at the bartender. I think she is. I I think she's the bartender. Low shoulder. They're from they're from the city. <laughs> and we don't. Ubiquitous <laughs> city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think at the end when she tells the the driver that she's going to Madison, I think that's to say that Madison turns out to be the city. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, it's just like the city. Yeah. And then yeah, we're in Minnesota, right? Minnesota. Uh, we are in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, Jennifer offers. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Jennifer and Nikolai. Jennifer's flirting with Nikolai. Uh, she offers him this about this really awesome 9/11 tribute shooter. It's red, white, and blue, but you have to drink it really fast or, or it turns brown. brownish. <laughs> Not the 9/11 so, like, tribute drink. Yeah, this is the thing that I kind of want to keep in mind going forward, and mm-hmm. I'll maybe talk about it more at the end. I do kind of think that this movie is also allegorically about 9-11. Oh, okay, okay. I'm, I'm, intri- I'm intrigued. I'll start to point it out. Yeah, give me the- out as we keep going. I mean, I can, I can kind of pick up some of the threads you might be running with. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to, I'm intrigued. My, my yeah. interest is peaked. I feel like that's sort of a, that's sort of a statement of intent though, that line that's just, you know, making a really overt 9-11 thing out of it. And early on too. It's not like far in. Yeah. Like five minutes in. Uh, Nikolai tells the bassist, I grew up in a town like this. And the bassist said, you told us you were from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting how we don't really know what the truth is. Yeah. You're like, who's just, yeah, you can't get, you can't get a read on the guy from it sort of speaks to the characterization of this band altogether that like in terms of like their sound and their style and what they we kind of know what they care about but um like they're always they'll say whatever it takes yeah not afraid to pander yeah 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 yeah. and then um the bassist starts to go off about wanting to be treated with more respect and needy i think that scene is new that is more recently included in cuts because Mm. so I've watched this movie now it's been like four or five years ago and there's a lot of scenes that were not in it when I was watching it and I've mm. been just in the copy that I owned like on um iTunes ironically I had a lot of iTunes with cards lying around <laughs> and I don't have an iPhone mm-hmm. so th- so I think that there's a lot I, I'll, I keep noticing even just when I rewatched today and on the version that is now up on streaming sites I think it is longer interesting that conversation I don't remember from earlier watches. That's a small tip, but I've been noticing it now as I rewatch that there's a lot of, uh, I don't know if the funeral, the column's funeral scene is in the moment you, in the one that you watched recently. It is, yeah. Because that, def- that one's definitely not in the original cut. Yeah, and I didn't remember it from watching it with my friends a few weeks ago, but I thought it might've been the part where I was in the bathroom. Um, yeah, so there's that, I, I'll keep, keep hearing little like, 
lines where I'm like, I don't remember that line. The ba- I, I think the bassist one is funny. When he's like, I'm not just a bassist, I'm a human being too. Um, Let's see, there's the, okay, so I'm seeing some different versions here. Theatrical version uh, compared to the unrated and extended versions. Five minute or Karin Kusama uses in the audio commentary. Yeah, it seems like there's the just a theatrical cut and the like director's cut. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing the. Uh, I think the director's cut is being more is on more sites now than makes sense than it was before. So old viewers may may see some some new dialogue on a, upon a rewatch. Certainly could be. We know that they're interested in Jennifer, that they think she's a virgin, which we've is, has been established that she is not in many of yeah. her conversations. Um, <laughs> right. And she makes that very clear uh, shortly thereafter. She brings the, <laughs> she brings the shots over. She yes. says Tower One isn't full enough. Um, and Edie in that conversation with the with the band is like trying to defend her. And, but it's also like, yeah. she is she's a virgin. virgin. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what she just did, Edie. <laughs> she's like hey that's my friend and she is a virgin guys so oh guys. gotcha <laughs> it's of course it's not her fault but like <laughs> you did <laughs> if, if she didn't <laughs> if you hadn't said anything uh the band performs through the trees which uh i have the lyrics up here kasama talks about how snow patrol was an inspiration for them and okay. i definitely yeah. I definitely see that yeah. there's like you can see all the like all the emo like fallout boy like elements that they're that yeah. they're playing with here but i definitely think it comes off in this like minivan you know hoobastank simple plan that kind of mm-hmm. that, that's sort of the lane that i see for them yeah it's not as like it doesn't have the same kind of uh wine to to it i think i don't know if that makes sense yeah i'm sure like to an outsider the difference isn't there but i honestly just think that like fallout boy makes more interesting music than- yeah yeah exactly there's like a different uh their voice and you know in patrick's yeah but also lyrically it's not um yeah not the same not the same level for a group but still are you, you're gonna hit us with some of those lyrics yeah because i think you know you listen to it the first time and it's like this is classic like you know top 40 yeah. alt schlock and then you, you sort of listen to it again review, and it's like Huh. So the I'll, I'll, I'll read whatever I have here. Um, all alone in an empty room, nothing left but the memories of when I had my best friend. I don't know how we ended up here. I don't know, but it's never been so clear. We made a mistake, dear. And I see the broken glass in front of me. I see your shadow hanging over me and your face. I can see through the trees. I will find you. I will hear. I will heal the ruins left inside you because I'm still here breathing now. I'm still here breathing now until I'm set free. Go quiet through the trees. I mean, it's <laughs> pretty, I mean, that's pretty much like the end spot that Needy finds her. I mean, where are, I guess, where we find Needy at the beginning. of Absolutely. And we, of course, the, the, the climax does involve Needy, uh, you know, finding finding Chip and Jennifer through the trees. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> Not through the tree. Yeah, there's a lot of tree reference. Even, uh, to Nikolai himself, she compares him to like a twisted, uh, petrified tree she saw as a child. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of tree play for sure. <laughs> a that... lot of tree play in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the bridges because you're not coming back. And there's um, I remember how we used to talk about the place we would go when we were off and all that we were gonna find. Like they're definitely this is about Needy and Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. So as everyone's sort of entranced by the show and Edie notices low shoulders equipment catching fire, I always got 
like a kind of a subtle implication from this scene that maybe the fire was an inside job. Yeah, especially it's I can't I, uh, when I've been rewatching, I keep trying to find if like, we see them explicitly do anything and we don't. But then like the way he talks to them after the fire, he's like, oh, there you guys are. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's so calm when he yeah. when, when he runs out and he's like um he's like want to head someplace safer like my, my van. van? Like <laughs> I just I'm in panic mode right now and I think my van would be a really safe place to go. Yeah, and so heavy implication <laughs> for yeah, sure. Yeah, and so talking about again there there'll be more to get into but you know this is like the tragedy which sets yes. the whole c- community reeling so if you do think of this movie as being about 9-11 in a certain sense this is the uh, exciting <laughs> incident it, this is the exciting incident yeah and i think too this is like one of like the more uh, in terms like you know, this film has violence in it but i think this is one definitely the more like unsettling we know that there's something up with the band but not that they're going to like set the fucking bar on fire. So I think it comes pretty suddenly. And then it's like people being like stomped on and like sounds of like bones. Like it's a pretty, like the soundscape of it's pretty intense. Um, I think more so comparatively to, like I said, some of like the just straight up killings that happen later, Mm -hmm. I think, which also would fit in with your, I mean, like you said, it is the inciting incident more so that like, it sets off this chain effect and i think it's one of the more um it's a little darker and than other moments of murder yeah and there's the first point where anyone else notices what's going on is an american flag, flag banner, banner like, fall, falling falls to the, the ceiling and uh sets someone's beer on fire and that, that's sort of the <laughs> that's the moment where people start freaking out there's the guy who's like fully on fire outside mm-hmm. is definitely like, like they keep cutting back to him and it's like oh my god <laughs> he's just like, yeah this man's just full, like you see someone like straight up being like trampled by a crowd and i'm assuming i don't know if you're bringing it up now but i'm assuming you're gonna bring up in, in your point amen or is this uh yeah well we we obviously we come back to Ahmed. the story is that he that, that he did die in this fire and then um later on it's revealed that he died afterwards yeah we'll get there when we uh yeah we come to it but keeping that in mind with your um because she's mentioned too like he's not just seen he's mentioned earlier in the bar scene by yeah by jennifer um yes they he's one of the elements present and so is the the cop and the the jock from the jock yeah and yeah and then needy our needy's quick thinking gets them out through a bathroom window it's um, true. They, they 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 get on the sticker toilet that's mentioned at the beginning of the scene. I mean, a, a staple for sure of any mm-hmm. of any dive. Um, Absolutely. And then yeah, we find on <laughs> a very uncomfortably calm Nikolai who like yeah. pushes it. I mean, <laughs> that's I think like his performance so like like he's I, his his character is very very funny. I think just like as this kind of like a vil- I mean just the the thought of like a villainous like actual Satan worshiping indie front guy. Um, yeah. just in general like as the kind of villain for the, like as a villain for the story but also like just then the things he like he does or especially like knowing like things about like you know the indie scene 2000s like warp tour mm-hmm. the uh, kind of notoriety for like not good behavior and yeah. so I mean just in that scene where he's like yeah let's get in my van and he just like shoves a drink in her mouth and Needy's kind of watching this all like oh this can't possibly be the way this is going to go down. Like, she's not possible. Like, why would she ever get in this van yeah. with him? It's interesting to me how, 
how frozen Jennifer is yes. like throughout that scene at the show, even as everyone else is running, she yeah, has to like snap, she has to like snap Jennifer out of it to even get her outside. And then even when Nikolai's talking to her, at first she's nonverbal and it's like, oh, she's in shock, but then like she is talking and she's like, Yeah, let's get in the van. Van. Yeah, and you're like, um, why was that? And then yeah, just that kind of look we get from her as the door is closing. It's kind of like vacant uh stare, like sit like sitting in this panel van with a bunch of like guys. That's kind of yeah. you know, the last we see of her before something has changed. Last we see her yes. as Jenna Jennifer, she is. The, the two other things that I wanted to point mm-hmm. out that I had forgotten about are in the scene where they're talking about going to the show. Uh, this is the first time that Jennifer says she's going to like cross her out. Yeah, yeah. And when they're at the lockers. Yeah, when they're at the lockers and she says, and Needy says she doesn't want to go, then she's like, I'm going to cross, cross you out. out. And then they both get, and then they both get crossed out at the place. They get X's put on their hands. Yep. And yeah, the crossing definitely keeps, it's like a, a steady all the way up into the, the final sure fight does. sure um, does you could also you could even point to the i mean the actual cross that's one of the things that needy gets needy. in the mail at the mm-hmm. beginning and she's doing like the what's that called that craft called like jesus's eyes i don't know where you're like wrapping the yarn around a cross right yeah to make the diamond pattern and like you said she mentions no one gets off the cross no one gets off the cross no one comes back or something. yeah yeah it's, it's always <laughs> needy runs home calls chip uh tells him what happened chip says you're okay right and then you know she's freaking out about jennifer and chip says who cares about jennifer and those douchebags people just burn to death uh and as they're talking the doorbell rings yes and there's already been kind of this established like there's a moment pre-concert when chip and uh needy are hanging out and she's like she's here it's like oh like, how do you know that it's so freaky like they have this uh there's a bond um, connection yeah. yes yeah this scene is i think this is when the tension of the film i think this is where we get start to get a little bit more of like or editing and like her like yeah going to the door there's no one there there's jennifer's sudden appear you know that's this the tone starts to shift in in certain ways there's really like two or three like completely horror styled scenes in the yeah. movie and this is one of them for sure um where she is uh, on the phone with chip going to the front door uh, nobody's there. She goes back inside, hears a sound, checks the closet, no one's there, goes to the kitchen, no one's there, the faucet's dripping, dripping. and then finally we get the real, the the only like jump scare in the movie Jennifer. Of, of Jennifer dripping with blood. Uh, you know, sort of S- smiling. Yeah, this very like discomforting, not talking though, not saying anything. She smiles and then she raids the fridge. She devours a whole turkey. The Boston she... Market turkey. <laughs> she barfs pharaoh fluid and shrieks like a demon. Classic stuff. And then she talks. That's the thing. There's so many moments of this where where Jennifer is like, like, like I was saying before, where she's like completely nonverbal. And you're like, oh, she's in shock. And then she'll just say something. And you're like, what? Yeah. And this one, the thing that she says is, are you scared? And it's, it, it's so interesting. It, even like... This is when she presses her against the wall again, right? Yeah. And just even as um, later in the movie when Needy is like reading up on the occult and thinking that she's been possessed by a mm-hmm. demon and like, like, like you start to see her in this typical sort of horror villain way and then we'll get to it, but they just like have a conversation where Jennifer tells her everything that's going yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> there's like, there's no like, yeah, it's interesting because she, I mean, she does have these moments of like, oh, like I'm going to research, got to find out the answer. And Jennifer's like, yeah, this is just what happened. Um, <laughs> exactly. And I think too, this is like, 
like you mentioned the like kind of uh, play fight they have before that gets a little aggressive. And then again, we have her kind of pressing needy against the wall, but obviously much more aggressively. And now she's covered in blood and uh, it's like both erotic and uh, like, is she going to kill her? Like what, you know, like she's going to hurt her. Yeah. She ends up, does she actually bite her in this scene or is she mm. just about to? No, I think she's just about to. Cause she, well, we can get to it later, but when she recounts the moment, she says something like, I wanted to kill you, but like, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't hurt you. And she kind of just leaves suddenly and Needy is left like, uh, with this like disgusting vomit, sticky, not of this world, uh, mess. As we hear, as we hear faint police sirens in the background and then cut briefly to, the cops sort of investigating the wreckage mm-hmm. of yeah. Melody Lane. That that cuts directly to a lamb fetus in a jar <laughs> in, in the science class. Yeah. And then we sort of we sort of pan over to uh, girls gossiping about the incident. And um, what one girl says she's not even speaking, and the other says it's called post-traumatic stress disorder. My dad was in operation enduring freedom and he totally stopped talking for like months. Is this another little a little chestnut, a little just a little bit. <laughs> something <laughs> little, else. Just, been, you know, that's something to, something to keep in mind. Um, you know, the, these girls are talking about how she's probably traumatized from the incident, Melody Lane, yes. but actually she's thinking about hers and Jennifer's childhood. Mm-hmm. We get this flashback of them in the sandbox and uh, and Jennifer like pricks herself and, and Needy sucks the blood mm-hmm. out. And she, yeah, and Jennifer comes into the classroom, right? Suddenly, you know, not at all like she was last night, covered in blood. And <laughs> she looks great. Not nothing, nothing going yeah, she wrong looks for great. her at all. Very noticeably, she looks very good. She says, uh, Needy says, people die, Jennifer. It's all over the news, like national news. And Jennifer says, anybody that we know. <laughs> And then Didi says, we know everyone, which is interesting. And then uh, Jennifer says, sucks to be them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer is completely, you know, this tragedy that has affected everyone and continues to affect everyone for months. Jennifer is totally apathetic, does not care about it at all. And I guess it's interesting, too, because obviously we know that something has changed like significantly with Jennifer, like something has happened to her. But it's hard to gauge how like Jennifer pre-tragedy would have responded. Because a lot of her, you know, yeah. like a lot of her dialogue is very much the same way she talks. Yeah. And there's a little bit more like she's not as mean to needy in the earlier scenes. Like there's a little there's a little sense that they that, that they like, have a yeah. respect for each other. Whereas it's it's not present really. Yeah, that's I would say that's almost the bigger shift is this like, yeah, the com- the comments to needy aren't like the same kind of playful uh, mean as they were before. And now they're just like just kind of actually mean and more apathetic like yeah yeah right after that exchange uh needy says what's wrong with you and jennifer says what's wrong with you besides the obvious surface flaws and then she's needy's talking to herself and jennifer says don't talk to yourself um it makes us both look like total gay lords and that's when jk simmons yes he's got a metal arm and a limp what jk simmons says is that the metal arm and the limp were in the script Uh and then as he was building out the character he was like let's give him a weird minnesota 70s hair piece and like funky little minnesota like facial scars for some reason Uh and yeah 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 like let's all let's fill this in really nicely absolutely that's the the fun the funky little science teacher kind of addressing the tragedy that has befallen uh yeah this community. i really gotta talk about my 9-11 thing here yes. and just 
get get a direct quote from J.K. Simmons' speech that he gives. This is a dark, dark day for Devil's Kettle. Now more than ever, put aside your teenage concerns about who's a cool dude <laughs> or who's a hoe. We can't let that damn fire win. And then Jennifer laughs and says it's already won. <laughs> She's never on. Um, and saw in like his thick Minnesota, uh, <laughs> who's a cool dude? Yeah. Um, who's a hoe? Oh. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, the next scene is Chip and Needy talking about how, like, all activities at the school have been yeah. shut down because of the tragedy and how, like, uh, Needy says, I feel guilty just breathing. And then we are introduced to Colin, Colin the, our, our goth, our goth our BS. Our little emo guy. Yeah. What a. Yeah. You know, no Love one's him. rocking lip rings the way they were in the 2000s. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it was, it was the style. It was the, the style of the time. And. Yeah, yeah, he is introduced. Um, I should t- I literally watched this like two hours ago. Um, I'm trying to think to beat. Uh, Colin sort of offers Neely some, you know, support. I'm glad you didn't die, right? I'm glad you didn't die. And then as he leaves, Chips is like, I thought Colin Gray only talked to the dead girls, which comes back later. Yes. Um, I like that Neely's like, like his, his writing is actually pretty good. <laughs> He's a pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that. Um, love Colin shout out Colin yeah and, and Chip we got is, he's this kind of starts establishing like his like you know the, the concerns that Needy is going to have that are going to grow especially about Jennifer and everything that happened Chip kind of keeps putting off as like you just experienced like an insane event and tragedy like you just need yeah he'll often say that she needs to like talk to a therapist yeah like you're you know you're you're very stressed like you're res- you're this is all a res- everything that you're experiencing is just a response to this tragedy um yeah which is going to keep happening the other thing from the jk simmons scene Mm -hmm. is jonas the quarterback who is like breaking down in tears in that scene and then after the collins scene we get this this really funny shot of like an insanely long doll with like just metal music (laughs) just like uh not emo just like straight up like a metal riff yeah some screamo screamo. um I love that. Okay, the man who plays Jonas to me looks exactly like Human Shrek, (laughs) (laughs) um, like in such a fun way. (laughs) And the and the actor is just like the actor seems to just be like a guy who plays football guys. Yeah, fair. That's just what he does. You got to type, you know. (laughs) You work with what you got. Absolutely. If they ever do Shrek Two live, though, I tell you that man's got a role. Um, I do love that Jennifer's like yeah you know like I was the last person like he's like very upset like very emotional and Jennifer kind of comes up and it's like you know I was actually the last person to see your friend before he died um and you know he told me like he told me that we would be a really banging couple (laughs) 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 which is just such a funny thing to tell someone grieving I like how that I like how Jennifer's introduction in that scene is like Jonas is, you know, Jonas is really upset and he looks over to the he looks over to the left mm-hmm. and sees Jennifer coming and then Jennifer shows up on the right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um yeah, she says that uh, he said they make a totally banging couple <laughs> and guides Jonas's hand to her boobs, which she earlier calls smart bombs. And they, you know, are definitely a weapon of choice for her. She takes him into the woods. The animals sort of gather around her like a Disney princess. I feel I, I yeah. that it's <laughs> kind of interesting. It's but yeah, like they're all waiting. They're all flocking around her um, and her devious, intense 
Um, yeah, Jennifer, she she asks him if he misses Craig as she's taking <laughs> his pants off. <laughs> well, you're going to see him real soon. <laughs> um, yeah. To which he says, like, like what? Like in heaven or something? And she's like, nope. <laughs> and then she eats <laughs> she him. She eats him. Um, I, I'm a big fan of her. So this is kind of the first time we see her in, like, a straight up, like, demon way. Because, you know, before we see her, but she's Jennifer. She vomits. Yeah non-human stuff and she's not acting very human but she's still jennifer and i believe this is the first time we kind of get her like unhinged mouth like actually full-on devouring uh it really tears him apart eats him um and then all the animals come up and i i'm a fan of the uh unhinged jaw look for her yeah the uh i have some notes on the effects here oh, they yes. um it's practical and they did uh they, they like made an entire head and uh they had like a they had like a double who would co- a body double who mm-hmm. would come in and get the like monster makeup put on her and then um it would it would sort of cut back and forth between the two uh, of them the two of them yeah oh it's cool that it's practical yeah i knew that the the, the pool scene one was practical because it's just like a prosthetic over her her teeth but i didn't know that the um the full-on like john and the, this is another scene where there's been more stuff added recently in the director's cut because that interaction with his um well jk simmons finds the body first uh, jk simmons he's, here's the screen <laughs> yeah here's the screams and he's like let it all out no, well, <laughs> it's just really so good, sad oh, really good kid. line and then before before we find the body, we get a scene of Needy uh, feeding her ferret, whose name is Spectre. The baloney, the ferret. Yeah, the, the baloney to the ferret. She drops half the sandwich and uh, through the trees is playing on the radio. Uh, the low shoulder is being called the unlikely heroes of the tragedy mm-hmm. in Devil's Kettle. And uh, yeah, Needy's mom says that she had a dream about people uh, nailing her to a tree, like Jesus was- on the cross. Another tree, another Jesus on the cross. Yeah. I really love Amy Sedaris in this. Um, we were a big, I was, a, I was, I grew up in a big Sedaris household. <laughs> My mom is a big Sedaris fan. So uh, a nice little role for Amy. Um, yeah. And I mean, during every death, there is such interesting cuts between what needy, like parallels between what needy is doing and what Jennifer is doing. So like Absolutely. with the like forest critter, the force critters surrounding Jennifer and then we've got Needy with her little ferret who never shows up again. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the other the other like hint at the ferret is earlier in the first scene with Chip, it's her screensaver. Oh. Yeah. Eagle Eye viewers will notice. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> A little Easter egg. <laughs> and the, yeah, she kind of just drops the floor. So We've got that, and is then is then it go to J.K. Simmons uh, discovering the yeah the body yeah J.K. Simmons discovers the or maybe J.K. Simmons actually discovered the body before that, but after that is the scene which, as you said, is not in some versions of the uh, of Jonas's father, father. Uh, and mother watching his body be taken away, and his father says uh, he's, he vows to find the killer himself. He says, you hear me, bastard? I'll cut off your nutsack and m- nail it to my door. Like one of those <laughs> lion door knockers that rich people have. Yeah. And if his voice sounds familiar, it's because that is Bill Fagerbaki, the voice of Patrick from SpongeBob. It's so weird. I was kind yeah. of thinking, like, I know this voice, and that wasn't where my mind went, but 
Love that. Yep. Um, if you watch the scene again, he's totally doing the Patrick voice. I like it might have even been <laughs> intentional. <laughs> Classic Patrick. And it's interesting too, because this is, you know, the first time, because like, you know, the fire's a tragedy, but it's like a, it's an act, you know, it's an accident, something. Here's like, obviously this was done by someone. Um, and, you know, obviously the assumption that it's a man. Um, yeah, yeah. Is interesting. Because I feel like that assumption shifts later. Um, uh-huh. They, well, there's this scene where Chip's mom gives him It gives him the spray. pepper spray and says- And what she a, says, what she says is there's a sicko out there who's like got a thing for boys, basically. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't remember she's, if she genders it or not. So maybe not. But yeah, so. there's, so there's this assumption that the killer is male- um yeah and it's left ambiguous i don't think at any point there's i i, I mean maybe again that that needy's getting fan mail maybe that indicates something but i I, yeah. I i don't think it ever reaches a point where people have any suspicions about jennifer having done it no no i don't think ever um besides like needy herself um right. yes yeah, so it's an interesting i also think and we can talk more about the victims as we get to them I think it's interesting because like when I think about just like as a list, all the, like all of Jennifer specifically's victims, um, I think it would have been really easy to play it as like, uh, you know, like sexually like men who kind of only want to use Jennifer her for her body and like she attacks back, but all of them are almost sympathetic and not really present. Like, Joe, like obviously maybe Jim is attracted to her but he's also like deeply like upset and like more just yeah none of, of them none of them are really interested in sex with her even no, like they <laughs> she, she's even yeah I mean you know we'll obviously get to the other people later but none of them are like she's pushing so I think the victim choice is very interesting yeah because they're kind of sympathetic in certain ways I wonder if it's meant to be a reversal of the the women who are typically the victims in horror movies yeah and I, it's just interesting because of the way she is turned into a monster, it has such clear allusions to assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally in like the rape revenge format, uh, which like I said, it doesn't have all the callings of it for, for any, in any sense, but it, you know, there's, there's moments, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, she would go after the attackers, which Jennifer notably never does. Even though in the end, I mean, you know, I'm skipping a little, you know, I won't go into full details on it, but, you know, she has an opportunity to. Um, she notably never, like, tries to actually seek revenge first for herself, yeah, I, yeah. which I think is really interesting. And like you said, you know, the victims, she does kind of feminize them in certain ways in that, like. It's true. Jonah's, like, shown crying, like, kind of, you know, he's, he's been kind of like a mask, you know, like, he's a very yeah. masculine looking person, but, like, is given like this like deep grief and like sorrow and then like Colin she makes a joke about how she's like my dick is bigger than his um and then Chip who is Chip well I mean you know and there's a whole line at the beginning about how um Jennifer wouldn't go for drummers but maybe she'd make you know she'd make an exception for a drummer who's a lead singer or like just kind of imply right. like Chip is not the caliber of man yeah and also even before the movie Jennifer has been cucking Chip yeah right? oh, the fall- <laughs> very literal like very literally um the victim choice in her men is very uh, is very interesting to me um i think it'd be very easy to pick men that like you really root for jennifer but like you none of the men you watch die like i mean you don't really feel that bad like Mm. ultimately i think you know just in the way the movie's presented with the exception of maybe chip but like 
you also don't like want them to die. like you don't feel like they need to die yeah. or that they deserve to die yeah they're 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 not villains and they definitely don't deserve it but it's also set up in such a way where maybe because the movie sort of draws us to jennifer in the same way that mm-hmm. needy is drawn to jennifer but we do sort of want her to succeed in a way yeah exactly you like there's there's no point where you're like jennifer like you're kind of like okay yeah like <laughs> go for it <laughs> right. i want to see more yeah so it's such an interesting um i, I notice it more rewatching it and another thing that would have been like s- such an interesting element if this if this movie had been marketed towards women which well, it obviously yeah wasn't. it was it certainly was not um so we've made it to death one. Yeah. And then it was interesting to me, you know, uh, the the dad is talking about the killer and then it cuts to Jennifer bathing in the lake, washing, the, yes. washing that blood off. Which also like little note, publicity wise, apparently someone, there was leaked shots of that set. It's like a closed set and there was leaked shots and she like, I think Perez Hilton or someone, like one of those kind of sites mm-hmm. that were really big in the day. Um she was very upset and like tried to get them to not, I don't know if they did get published or not. I think they did, but someone, which I'm sure also was used probably as fodder for like the uh, sexualization of this, or, you know, in a, uh, in marketing of this, or in press around the film could have been another piece that people referenced. But yeah, that's, that's film, that scene. Absolutely. And then uh, Jennifer goes home. Uh, she uh, calls Needy. She's feeling scrumptious. <laughs> just, and she's Didi, looking scrumptious. She's looking scrumptious too, you gotta admit. <laughs> but of course, Needy, is, Needy says she's still depressed about the fire. Jennifer says, move on.org, Needy. It's over. <laughs> Life's too short to be mopping around about some white trash, trash pig, pig roast. roast. <laughs> uh, Great line. Great line. Of course, you know, moveon.org, another perhaps allusion to the, to the, to the Iraq war, you know, 9-11 fallout kind of era of politics. Uh But um, let's see, Jennifer again talks about crossing media out when she picks up the other line. Yeah. Jennifer, we, that, that, this is where the uh, burning her tongue moments. That iconic, I am a god. Um, yeah, she yeah, she says I am a god and then she starts asking about as she starts saying that chips looking nice lately, asks about his cock. <laughs> Not the first time Jennifer has specifically brought up cock either. It's true. It's she's true. A, it is the first time she specifically brought up chips. Chips, yes. Yeah, there's another moment with a uh, relating chips penis that I'm excited we'll, we'll talk about later. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I, another, I'm having a better day than Jesus, when Jesus invented the calendar. Right, yeah, that's um, another, another Jesus reference. <laughs> another little Jesus reference, another fun line. Um, yeah, and this is kind of where we fight, like, there's even more, like, okay, there's definitely a divide between the two of them that did not exist at the beginning of the film, or at the beginning of the story. Um, yeah. So she talks to Chip. He, I think Chip was talking about how uh, Jonas was dead. That was the yes, was what that was yes, about. she this yes so now needy has been informed that there's been a, a moida um, yeah and she thinks they, there's a connection there something's happening yeah something's happening yeah we get this this great shot of like everyone in the school depressed and everyone's like wearing gray and stuff and then jennifer <laughs> is just shows- the time of her life and that very iconic um outfit which is uh actually from uh the Gap Children's line, her cropped sweater. I'm a fan of costume. It, it sold at auction. I think some it got auctioned. But um, hmm. yes, a lot of her clothing uh, is children's clothing, <laughs> so that they could successfully get that like 
cropped, tight fit. She lost some weight for this role too. She was, you know, kind of, she, she was putting in a lot to be like, you know, sort sort of overdoing it on the, <laughs> on the like 2000s beauty uh, uh, thing. What a, I'm so glad we're, we've moved away from the need for low rise jeans. I could, to reveal my womb every day would be, would be too much for me. Yeah, here it is. She dropped to 97 pounds and stayed out of the sun to keep her skin pale. So she was like, and I feel like, especially from interviews I've heard of her, she seemed like she was not having a great time in her own life to, mm-hmm. uh, already. So she, yeah, under 2000s beauty standards, you know, I know Y2K quote unquote look is coming back, but people are embracing very select parts of that look because right. there was definitely some parts that the vest for one, a lot of chips always wearing a, his vest. Chip's got a yeah, lot of that. always got the vest. Um, I feel like Colin's look that like he's got like a like a purple hoodie or whatever. It's just the like there's a lot of pieces hoodie. to it that are yeah. very yeah. A lot of the the chains, a lot of the uh the cropped hoodie for sure was a a two thousands. And just all the layering of like you oh, know, have yes. a cropped hoodie and then kind of a tiny a cro- shirt underneath and, and like- then a tank top. <laughs> Yeah. Even Needy, who doesn't like have, she still layers shit, you know, like her first look for the concert shows, a tank top over a long sleeve shirt. Mm-hmm. And then she's always got her cardigan or some like kind of cardigan or layer. Um, the layering for sure. Very, very evident. But yeah, her, that's probably one of the more iconic looks is her little, her pink heart hoodie. Uh, and yeah. she kind of bursts in and is just having the time of her life. Yeah. <laughs> no one tragedy. else is. But the press has latched onto Devil's Kettle. We see yes. a really funny, a really funny little clip of a candlelight vigil singing through the tree. <laughs> yeah, and just the worst, like, like teenagers monotone. It's so sad. Their little yeah. Dixie cup candle holders. Yeah, and uh, J.K. Simmons announces in class that Low Shoulder is donating three percent of Through the Tree's profits <laughs> to local family. <laughs> And I love, and Needy's like, um, it's really crass. And then has to define crass for everyone. Has to define crass. Yeah, chastity comes line in about, again. about Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. Another zinger. And then we find, we, this, we start seeing people in low, shirt, low shoulder merch. It's true. Another layering moment. A, sh- a low shoulder shirt on top of a button up. Yeah. You'd think at least the low shoulder shirts would be like, would be like low shoulder. Low shoulder and they're not. Now, is shoulder... Does that do people use that as like is it like a term for like driving like the shoulder of the road? It's like a low shoulder a driving thing. It, yeah, it's like one of the it's, it's something you'll find on like a sign of the road. I actually do see that at the end, but like there's a you know a sign the, where there's like mm-hmm. where there's a shoulder where if you're like off the lane a little bit you might dip. So yeah, be wary. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the hallway, it's Jennifer and Needy, and uh, you know more more of Needy being like, "What's going on with you?" And Jennifer being like, "I'm just I'm doing great," uh, but is, she's actually she's not doing great. She's not scene. doing great. She's, this is she feels like boo, but she feels like one of the normal girls now. Yeah, as she says, because yeah, there is a moment they they do like a little like time ellipse of the like wilting flowers on Jonah's memorial. So some time has passed. Yeah, time has passed. We we actually see that that like. People are like wearing brighter colors Clothes, again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, like things are, the, she does this monologue about how people are sort of getting back to normal mm-hmm. after, in, in the months following that so tragedy. A little, a little inverse of when we first see Jennifer emerging, very bubbly and restored amongst the tragedy. And now she's kind of the opposite. She's, as she says, boo boo. And then Colin One. asks her out <laughs> to Rocky Horror. And she says, I don't like I don't like boxing movies. movies. 
<laughs> first she says uh when Colin shows up can I borrow your English again yeah. I forgot to read Hamlet is he gonna fuck his fuck mom, his mom. <laughs> <laughs> and her delivery of these is very chef's kiss um really good and this we also have the PMS line yeah there's the PMS line where she says that uh it was invented by the boy run media to make us seem crazy Mm-hmm. um this is the my dick is bigger than his moment yes after colin leaves yeah he wears nail polish and listens to maggot rock and there is but like you don't see like like you said like she mentions like the homework thing she doesn't really have any interest in him like she doesn't want to go on a date with him until needy says he's actually kind like is like oh like colin's actually like very you know until needy expresses even not entirely romantic and yeah but interest and then Jennifer's like, hey, Gallon, let's go watch hey, Aquamarine. Wait a <laughs> Another fun little, she's like, let's go watch Aquamarine. Yeah, it's a uh, half sushi. She's part half sushi. sushi. And she, I guess she fucks through like, her blowhole. Fucks through her blowhole, yeah. Um, um the but the thing that was interesting there is the line earlier where Chip says, I thought Colin only talks to dead girls. And uh, then when when Jennifer's drained of her power, suddenly Colin's talking like, to hey, her. <laughs> Jennifer, you're looking mighty fine these days. <laughs> looking pretty dead. My interest is beat. <laughs> and then also Chip shows up and Jennifer like starts to go for him too. And then yeah. he like like kisses him and so she like backs off. She's like, all right, I guess. Colin will suffice for now. Come um, back to you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll deal with Chip later. And I do love the. Is there anything major that happens in between the kind of parallel dates scene, or is there? Is that where we're right next? To, right next to this is a parallel date scene. Yeah. So I do love Colin's little moment of driving over. Well, oh, I guess you know Jennifer's like, mm, come over to my house instead. She definitely sends him to not her house. But his like mm-hmm. sequence when he's driving in the car to like the like pop punk cover of I can see clearly now the rain, <laughs> the rain <laughs> and he's gone. just like yeah. and it's so sad he's like so pumped up he's like <laughs> so dancing in his little car. Um, Chip told me that he bought he bought condoms at the Super Target. Um, (laughs) so we know that they're in for a night and yeah we have another kind of this parallel like even you know we had the baloney and the ferrets earlier but now we have a very literal parallel kind of sequence between we we are seeing this this interspersing of it's interesting how like needy and chip are like already fucking yeah as 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 colin's still driving around like (laughs) yeah (laughs) just in like a band like just like non-furnished like a completely like you know a, a, a real ass neighborhood full of houses but none of them like no one lives in there no i love that he's just like i'll just i'm sure she must surely be waiting for me in one of these <laughs> this seems like the kind of place jennifer hangs out um yeah. it's interesting first of all we get the uh we get the i can see clearly now and then like akon is playing as he's like <laughs> in, we're in very the in the 2000s nine era yeah and he's and this is kind of another like more horror like uh setup yeah uh yeah. in his like entrance to this there's like crows all of a sudden so we have this mm-hmm. there's another there's trend rats. of yeah the animals following her there's like a i mean there's like a line of rats that scurry <laughs> and again like you said like he i mean colin's interest in her like has never been overtly sexual yeah. um and she gets in there and she's like, let's play mommy and daddy. I'm pulling your pants down. And he's kind of like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, he never I mean, really... he like he, he likes dead girls, as they were saying, you know, as yeah. soon as Jennifer is like, 
Jennifer, he, he's like, yeah. oh, I don't know if I... Oh. <laughs> but wait a minute. She's actually like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, and she kind of mocks yeah. him. <laughs> don't like emo guys like love vermin and all this yeah. shit. And he's kind of like, oh... <laughs> being in like a unfurbished derelict home is really my um ideal but yeah. yeah like you said this is all in between like mediumship art having sex like they are <laughs> yeah and then needy starts to see visions of, of jennifer, jennifer as she and chip are fucking there's blood dripping from the ceiling and mm-hmm. then he sees jonas's corpse sitting in a chair on the other end of the room and jennifer like a gargoyle sort of like, perched yeah, over hunched. next to him and then yeah finally she starts to see visions of what jennifer is up to over mm-hmm. there she sees jennifer Killing stabbing colin, colin. yeah um, and, and and she says uh to needy i need you hopeless and then needy starts saying hopeless hopeless yeah hopeless um i might want i do love the part you know she's like screaming and chip is like thinks that she's like in ecstasy and then he gets kind of concerned and he's like am i hurting you and then he goes my dick's too big and his (laughs) face during that moment he gets he gets so excited he's like He's like, is my dick too? <laughs> like, he's like, oh my God. <laughs> he's like, um, and then she's like very clearly actually upset. And he's like, oh, something's wrong. But um, yeah, the hope, yeah. I mean, it goes from something that was like, oh, this is kind of just like a slight peril. But now it's like, she's actually, like, again, their connection. Like that isn't ever yeah. really explained beyond like they just have this connection. Yeah, there's sort of an element that seems to point to the importance of that connection later on. I think there are hints Mm -hmm. throughout. I mean, the thing I was talking about earlier of the flashback of Needy drinking her blood when they were kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sandbox love never dies. There there are some some slight things throughout and it comes up at the end. But uh, yeah, we definitely see that connection in full force. And this hopeless thing is something that I didn't pick up on at all uh, the last time I watched this. And I think it's something that might speak to it might speak to the 9-11 thing, but it, it definitely speaks to what um, what Jennifer's idea is here. And I'm trying to think, she has others. She says, like, I need you scared. I need you, I need you frightened. And then I need you hopeless. But hopeless, like, is the only, that's the one that gets repeated um, by, by Needy. Um, right. Who then, yeah, kind of, like, doesn't respond to Chip, who's kind of like, oh, this is, it's not my penis. There's something actually wrong. Um, and she kind of runs out into her car, drives yeah, away. She, she drives home in a panic. Uh, she sees another vision of Jennifer and then she gets home. I think home. she just she's, sees Jennifer. Is it a vision or she just, I think she just. Did she well, Jennifer's her? in bed later. So I don't think she's actually uh, seeing her. But That's um, true. That's true. It could be. Yeah, I think that's another sort of uh, connection thing there. And then um, she gets home, calls for her mom. She sort of calms down a little bit as she's like looking through the house, turning mm-hmm. the lights on, gets into bed, finally safe. And Jennifer's right there. <laughs> her, Jennifer's there in like a sexy evil dead t-shirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. A nice little reanimation movie this i think this was the scene that was like one of the scenes that was blasted in uh ads Mm -hmm. for the film um and one that was criticized a lot in in or in some of the reviews i read as like people being like oh this was put in just to appease audiences and there's nothing no connection to the plot which i disagree with yeah i i mean watching it again this time i think maybe it was shortened in the theatrical cut because Mm. you know watching it again this time i was like this this feels a little longer yeah but um yeah i definitely i mean of course it's it's an important moment on account of how just on account of like 
their relationship and you know what it really is because because there is i mean diablo cody's talked about how there is sort of a sexual undertone to some of these yeah. teenage girl friendships and, and like, karen kusama said it too in an interview that like i think her and megan fox spoke they definitely have never been like no it's just a friendship like there's yeah clearly some you know in the writing and the directing and the acting of it there is definitely another way like a, an added erotic which i think we see throughout the whole, the whole yeah, and first thing. it's like needy's freaking out and asking questions about like what's going on and she, and jennifer like silences her with a kiss and then like needy sort of joins in yeah and they you know make out for a for a brief moment there i i saw some interesting stuff about megan fox being like being like yeah it was really great to do this obviously megan fox is is bisexual and a man yeah. safer to straight so their their takes on it are very much like, megan fox was like was like this was super cool and I had a great time with her and then Amanda Seyfried was was like I don't know how I felt about it yeah (laughs) all right Amanda and it's interesting too because we get another line from um Jennifer where she's like well one like you know I like I always spend the night or sleepovers we used to always do this we used to always play girlfriend and boyfriend or something yeah which is kind of interesting considering earlier she when she's talking to Colin she's like we can play mommy and daddy. Right. So yeah. it's another little, what you were describing earlier, which is like Jennifer kind of just explaining everything that happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> sort of this moment of levity where Needy has become sort of afraid of Jennifer and having these visions of her as a demon. Mm-hmm. And then like they actually see each other again and she's, you know, they completely willing to be open with her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and first she says, uh, I have the cops in my back pocket. I'm fucking a cadet. Remember, I think that's a funny sort of empty threat. of yeah, just like, because... yeah, th- this guy who's not even a cop yet is going <laughs> to. It's just a dude from the bar. Over. Yeah. Right, Roman, and then yeah, yeah. Jennifer explains what happened with low shoulder. They uh, brought her to the falls. They, you know, she's in the back of the van, you know, asking if they're, if they're going to rape her and she, and, and they try to, they ask her if she's a virgin and she also sort of not knowing what she's doing says like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a virgin. Right. Under the assumption that they're looking for sh- like, that that will somehow save her or get like make her less likely to be um, assaulted. Yeah. And so they take her to the falls they tie her up to sacrifice her. They explain how there's too many indie bands these days. And Saturated market. <laughs> and I love too the line about how, um, and if you don't get into some like movie soundtrack, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. You know, if you don't get on Letterman or on some indie soundtrack, you're screwed. Um, which is a funny little um, self-referential thing. And then also the bassist is once again sort of the uh sort of the kind of reasonable one in the band, the one with feelings. And uh, <laughs> and Nikolai's like, like, do you like like do you want to be cool like Adam Levy? Because <laughs> yeah. you want to be like that guy in Maroon 5 and which I think is such a funny reference. Like Adam Levy. Yeah. Wow. And he's like Maroon 5. Five. Yeah, okay. <laughs> also it's a they use a Bowie knife. Yeah. Um, and he's like and he's like, wow, Bowie. Oh, cool. <laughs> like they's like, oh wow, this will really give us an edge in the music theme of yeah. this killing. It's really, it's a really funny and weird scene. And it's also definitely the most fucked up scene yeah. in the movie. Like the, when they start singing uh, Jenny. Jenny, I've got your number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because I don't re- think I realized how that song starts. I only know the like, eight, six, seven, five, you know? Yeah. And so when they started singing, I was like, what the fuck are they singing? And then I was like, oh, I know this song. Uh... But yeah, like, I mean, this is the scene I've seen 
I've heard talked about kind of the most in more recent interviews with um, Diablo and Karen and, and Megan. I don't know. I haven't seen any interviews with Amanda Seyfried recently, but I haven't like done any deep dives. So I don't know sure. that that is. She's around. I'm sure, I'm sure she's been like asked about Jennifer's she, body, but she's yeah. just out of all those people, she's doing the most stuff now. And has so done like the most since, like has been continuously in films um, yeah. in a way that the other people just weren't. Um, so that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, Megan has talked pretty explicitly about how for her, the scene felt very much like what was happening to her at the time in the industry and was very difficult to, sh- like, was one of the hardest, harder scenes to shoot just because it felt very, it came from a place that was feeling very real in the sense that she was just being sacrificed by people who had no no care for what happened to her, her well-being. Um, it was kind of a bottom line thing. But like you said, it's also hard because it is funny. Like, so there's this kind of, and also the way that it's cut into the film as, you know, this flashback. And when we cut out of it, it's not like Jennifer's like teary-eyed discussing this, you know? We cut back to her and she's kind of like, haha, look, I can like cut myself and I've got all these powers. <laughs> and like, um, you know, she's not like talking about this, like it's some deeply traumatic. But there is, I think, throughout the whole film like this, I mean, you know, I think still the image of like her like during the sacrifice like deeply upset and like frightened and pleading for her life and there's like this gaggle of men like laughing at her yeah and i and i mean getting back to how like frozen she was yeah at at the party you sort of don't understand like on a first watch you're like is there something like supernatural happening here what is her motivation when she sort of explains the story it's the first moment of like she's really vulnerable Mm-hmm. And, you know, fears for her life in in, in that scene. In yeah. the I did look into what uh, Amanda Seyfried has said, and she definitely doesn't talk about it as much, but she's just been like, yeah, I'm really proud of it. And I'm not surprised that people have latched onto it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's That's good. fair. Yeah. Because I think, you know, like you said, she's had a larger body of work mm-hmm. or like still mainstream work, I'd say, since whereas some of the other players had to had yeah. different, I mean, she was different nominated. For, she's nominated for an Oscar this year. Was that Mank? It was Mank. It was Mank. <laughs> NBC Mank. Um, All about that Mank. I remember her in another erotic thriller from when I was like growing up. She was in that like Chloe movie with uh, Julianne Moore. Yeah. I feel like that would would have been probably kind of around this. Uh, and she was in Red Riding Hood. She um, was, yeah. She definitely had some some things that seemed kind of related. I mean, Mamma Mia was a fucking, yeah. a fucking monster this same year. Like that was, it made more what? money than Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> As it I Yeah, absolutely. I like Iron Man, but yeah, she was in Les Mis. Oh shit, she was in Les Mis too. When did Les Mis keep forgetting? She That was a few years later. That was 2012. It was uh, after Red Riding Hood, but yeah. Yeah, she really did like a lot right around Mm -hmm. and I think Mm -hmm. you know having her come from Mean Girls you know I don't know as much about the TV her in the TV shows that you mentioned I know you said we're like kind of her bigger Mean Girls definitely probably the first thing I would have come acquainted with her so I think having her like transition to a very different or another kind of teen film also dealing with like (laughs) some of the atrocities girls can commit and they said that Needy was a role that they read a lot of people for Mm -hmm. whereas Jennifer like before like Megan Fox was approached like you said like in 2000 like there's photos of Megan Fox at the screening for Juno with Diablo Cody um because they were like kind of courting each other uh I think she said one of the people that they read for Needy that they did obviously cast was Emma Stone Mm, someone who was that works um I think that works 
but yeah so like needy was a role that was like had a much broader you know they 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 searched for longer than with yeah the, it's sort of it's sort of against type for Amanda Seyfried I feel like in an mm-hmm. interesting way like to, to have her play the character she's called I mean you know Megan calls her butch at the at the end of the movie yeah she's, I love you know, that Oh. She, she, she's very, uh, you know, unfeminine and, uh, you know, sort of goes against, uh, she's the nerdy one and she's, you know, mm-hmm. all these things. It's, it's, it's sort of an, an interesting role to put Amanda Sanford in, but I do think that she completely sells it. Yeah. And their dynamic, it, it works very well. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of have this like, okay, so the, so things are out there. We get the ritual. Oh, we, we get, get the, the ritual. ritual. Yeah. The, uh, the ritual is messed up because, Jennifer's She's not, not a, a virgin. virgin and Jennifer's like Jennifer's like but somehow I didn't die and Needy's like what if you did uh and then we see Jennifer on the way home seeing Ahmet having mm-hmm. survived the fire and uh yeah this is a new discovery now because we thought Ahmet died in the fire yeah um and he was he did not that's another one like a- another sympathetic guy another yeah, guy that we have no reason and also to want to die the one that's really not at all sexual I mean it mm-hmm. could but, you know, when she, like, sees him, she doesn't, like, she's not like, hey, Emma, I know you just are traumatized from a fire. Come, let's, you want to fuck? And she's like, does anyone know you're alive? Like, you know, that's all she asks. Yeah. She asks him, do your fa- does your foster home? Yeah, and then she, she's like, like come with him me. into the woods. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the fact that she's, she's certainly implied to be a succubus. I feel like that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like that word might even get explicitly used. Yeah, when she when uh Needy when is Needy's doing the research, research, the word succubus is like in big words on <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. He's like, we have an occult section in the library. <laughs> um, it's pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> we know. <laughs> yeah, pretty just <laughs> definitive text you found there, Needy. But yeah, with Ahmet. And yeah, like I said, that's an interesting, another un you know, very sympathetic, very kind of sad yeah. death where you're like, oh, that's R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't deserve that. And then back in the present day, mm-hmm. uh, Needy is talking about uh, having seen her that night and how yeah. she was, you know, throwing up. And she was, and, and Jennifer's like, I really think you should talk to someone about these. You should <laughs> gaslight her a little. Gaslight well, her, yeah. She does that a little earlier when they, after she first like throws up in her kitchen, where she's like, I don't know, like. She kind of pretends that that didn't happen, and Needy's like, um, "Look at my fucking fingernails! Like I've I've been scrubbing up your shit." There's that interesting dynamic too, where she'll go from being like very close with her, and then to kind of just being like very bitchy and dismissive, and like, um, yeah. And then Needy tells her to leave. That's the that's when the boyfriend girlfriend line comes in after that, yeah. and then she she does leave out the window, and we're next taken to uh, Colin's funeral, which Needy is sort of watching from a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin's mom has the line to his friends at his funeral. By the time they found Colin in that godforsaken house, he looked like he was lasagna, like lasagna with, with, teeth. with teeth. It's also an interesting scene, because that's one that definitely wasn't in mm-hmm. the original, the theatrical release, or yeah. in, in most streaming options. I'm guessing yeah. it was updated pretty recently, um, within the last year or two, I would say. And to be included um it's interesting too because we see like the like quote-unquote like goth kids a couple times like in the hallway scenes we don't really talk to any of them except for colin and the, at his funeral they're all like crying and but they're all like colin like this is what he would have wanted <laughs> and like he was a goth like and his mom's like fuck you guys you think my yeah. son wanted to get fucking shredded she's like you don't know him 
he's dead and he's like a he's a child who's dead like there's nothing good about this absolutely the first image just like is pretty funny of all the goth kids like at his at funeral, funeral yeah <laughs> With the, um, with the parents just sort of watching them from the other side. Like, like yeah, these, like, <laughs> massive, like, these, it's, like, very theatrical mourning um, mm-hmm. of them, like, on their knees and stuff. And the parents are just kind of like, fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so it's an interesting scene to add, I think, in the context of the film. Yeah, and the the theatrical cut does have the later line where... Um, the lasagna with... Says that he looked like lasagna with teeth, but having... I feel like it's I feel like it's even funnier having, having that initial, mom. like, serious lasagna with teeth yeah. moment. And then, and then have it brought back and it's kind of like... <laughs> a little yeah. more silly. But uh, we get another another montage moment when Needy is doing her paranormal research. Suck you, the... <laughs> Yeah, a little detail that I noticed is that the school musical is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. <laughs> Which isn't even a, a, a music. Is it a musical? I think they did make a musical out of it, but I think oh, that's it's amazing. just like, oh, hello- it's I just mean, about the, the idea that like Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a, is, is a school you know, musical. And just that because it's another, it's sort of a classic horror thing with comedy elements. And it's yeah. something that's also about these two women and these and their struggle relationship that they have. Yeah. That's funny. I didn't, I never noticed that. The way that I, I feel like the way that the sacrificers describe is kind of mm-hmm. weird because they're sacrificing the body of Jennifer. They're sacrificing yeah. Jennifer's body and it, they, and they succeed, but um, yeah, because right. she wasn't a virgin, a demon resides in her soul. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that they still got, like, it didn't mess up their end of the deal at all. Um, they still got famous. Yeah. Um, yeah. It could have been coincidental. But, yeah. <laughs> they just happened to exploit. Yeah, it's a, um, I mean, it's almost like, if you think about them having had a plan, if you think about the fire as an inside job, um, then they almost didn't need to sacrifice anyone because if they were going to do the tragedy, then that could have been. And profit, yeah, like, choose, they, yeah. I mean, it's, it's clear that they chose a small town, on purpose, like, because she's like, you know, why were you guys, like, why are you coming out to the middle of, like, nowhere? And he's like, oh, you just want to support our, like, country fans you know like our yeah our (laughs) yeah our fans from shitty uh towns too my impression was that they had you know they obviously did all this research online and i think part of Mm -hmm. it was that the devil's kettle like falls yeah a place place. with supernatural elements i shoot i just love the idea that like real um demon information is just very accessible in this in this world that like mm-hmm. you can just find like a, a working ritual <laughs> and that yeah. you can just find like deep information. I don't think it detracts from the film. I just love that. Another thing from that montage is that the theme of the dance is through the trees. And then later when they're setting it up, they're just like putting plastic trees. trees all over the place. <laughs> and have we already found out at this point, I think we've already found out that they are playing the, at the school dance. I don't think so. I think. Or that, is that later? Um, that yeah that's just something that uh, uh, when they're actually there i think that's oh okay i thought for some reason i remember i thought jk simmons but yeah you're right he might he also obviously is the dance so what jk simmons announces is the three percent of the profits thing and then at and the then dance, later he, he shows up and he's like we have a special surprise and also the pta <laughs> yeah but um so needy presents this information yeah to chip presents she he, she presents the information to chip who once again uh insinuates that she needs help and says it's not that I don't believe you I just don't believe this Jennifer's evil and he's like yeah I know (laughs) and she's like no 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 (laughs) not high school evil like actually evil in the uh, biblical sense yeah (laughs) 
Biblically. The biblical. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we get the, um, we approach the dance. We see the auditorium being covered in plastic trees and we get um, Chip getting ready. Chip's mom offering him. Well, well, everyone's getting ready. You know, Needy's being yeah, a little montage for it and all that. Yeah. And then uh, Chip's mom offers him pepper spray. And uh, yeah, Chip's mom says, did you hear what Colin Gray looked like when they found him? Chip lasagna. says lasagna with teeth. And she's, and she's like, you heard. You heard. <laughs> I love the shot where Amy Sedaris is posing with Needy and mm-hmm. I don't know what the fuck Amy Sedaris is wearing, like a work uniform or something, but she's like got her hair all pinned back. I don't know. Very funny to me. Um, what was interesting to me about the sequence is it starts with kiss with a fist and then like transitions yeah. directly into new perspective. Like they're right back to back and they're like 10 second clips. It's such a weird. And yeah. So, Oh, Needy is not going to the dance with Chip. She's like, Chip, you can't be around me. Yeah, she tells um, him not to go to the dance at all. Yeah, she's like, you shouldn't go at all. Because she, I, I think her assessment is that Jennifer is going to be at the dance and is going to try to like, you know, pull something. Yeah, like she, Needy is only going to the dance to stop Jennifer. Um, yeah. Like that is her. And she kind of knows like Chip is at risk. And I would say that, um, what well, I was going to say about Kiss with a Fist and New Perspective, both great songs. I don't think either of those cues is super well done no i feel like it's funny to me too because new perspective is like written for that like am i is, is that correct am I yeah. like it, it was a yeah. single for the mutes for the movie and so it's funny to me that it has such a small playtime and it's feels in a weird in a weird spot a little yeah. especially like you said so back to back because the other one's the florence Welch, right the florence the machine yeah the florence the machine yeah both good Pre- songs. Yeah. Days were over. I'm pretty sure that was that was before Florence and the Machine really blew up. Yeah, I, when I was rewatching, I was like, oh shit, that's Florence. <laughs> like I didn't know she was in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, an interesting choice to have them. We also see Jennifer pre-dance. She is weakened. She's combing out clumps of hair and slathering foundation on her face. Another iconic moment. Really good moment. Yeah, and um, we get another parallel moment after that where where Needy is wandering through the trees at the party, sort of looking for Jennifer, trying to figure out what's going on, and Chip is wandering through the trees in the Again, woods. Again, through the trees. Yeah, being set upon by Jennifer, uh, who tells him that Needy and Colin were intimate. Yeah, and her, like, very literal uh, seduction of Chip. Um, yeah. Also, another iconic fashion moment from the 2000s is Chip's little scarf. Um, <laughs> it's true. A little skinny scarf with the suit moment. Whereas, it's interesting, too, because Needy's look is very dated. Mm. Like, her whole outfit, like, no one else's is really... Yeah, the big pink thing and, and her, the like, curly hair her- and all that. Yeah, her like teased hair and her very very 80s. Um, yeah. Yeah, and she is at the dance kind of anticipating that Jennifer, like waiting for Jennifer. Yeah, see someone thinks it's Jennifer, it's not her. And then as J.K. Simmons comes out and uh, thanks the uh, parent organization <laughs> for for the, the cran grape and, and the... <laughs> no, is it waste that classic spread? Um, yeah. And then introduces that low shoulder introduces low shoulder as low shoulder is coming out needy's like oh shit <laughs> yeah, a very dramatic drink drop this scene is also a lot longer in the new release in the director's cut than in the theatrical um we see like a lot more of needy's uh chase or you know a lot more of like mm. her searching for chip like she goes back to his house um mm-hmm. and then that's kind of how she finds out where like realizes where he is 
Whereas in I think the original, like in theatrical cut, it's just kind of like she has the like oh shit moment and then is, you know, at the park that he was at moments ago with with Jennifer. So that they've kind of expanded that um, you know, the tension of like, oh, like is she gonna find him in time? Like Yeah. And what she's realizing in that moment is that, you know, her idea of Jennifer was gonna her idea was Jennifer is going to come to the party yeah. and try to be after Chip. So she's going to make sure that Chip isn't at the party. Turns out Jennifer's not going to the party. Does that have anything to do with Low Shoulder being there? Does she like not want to be there at all with Low Shoulder being there? Who's to say? Yeah. it's an in- And again, like that's the interesting point to me is that like she, I mean, I guess we, I guess it could be said that she doesn't really know that Low Shoulder is going to make an appearance, but like it definitely could have been a moment for her, like for revenge to be sought more like a la Carrie, right. like a prom kind of massive revenge. And instead she goes for like a much more personal attack on needy, you know, like this, yeah. you know, not an attack on the people who made her this way, but an attack on, and this, this is coming kind of like, they haven't spoken since the night in her bedroom after yeah. this kind of like, not rejection on needy's part, but this like, like needy's not okay with what's happening. And Jennifer was already like, the earlier scene where Jennifer's not interested in Colin and then Needy's like, well, Colin's pretty cool. And then, and then Jennifer mm-hmm. immediately goes after her. Like, yeah, she's exactly. definitely part of Jennifer's transformation has been she's now specifically after Needy. She says she wants her to be hopeless. Yeah. And then Jennifer takes Chip to an abandoned pool where mm-hmm. the word hopeless appears in graffiti. Classic graffiti. I know me and all my buds like to graffiti. Always. One word. Going down to the pool. Graffiti <laughs> hopeless. Yeah. And now we, I mean, and here Chip is kind of like, you know, they, they did kiss him and him and Jennifer. And now he's kind of like, I can't do, you know, he's like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do this. Like he kind of rejects Jennifer. Yeah. Like, this isn't right. We can't do this. And then she tosses both of them into the into pool. The pool. And then uh, Needy shows up and says a prayer, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Who is it the patron saint of? Uh, I, remember, I was trying to, I couldn't hear her very well when I was rewatching today. Patron saint of something. I just remember saying, send me the power to crush this bitch and then jumping into the water as, as Jennifer is again in that, in that, un, in, in that unhinged job mode. And she's like, to, yeah. Yeah. She, she's already, she's already attacked him. Yeah. She's already done some she's done some pretty significant damage to chip and then here we're just given so many great lines um the fight the fight scene dialogue from here is just yeah chip says she can fly and he says she's just hovering hovering. it's not that impressive impressive. do you have to undermine everything (laughs) exactly which which she she doesn't do that (laughs) like she she doesn't undermine everything and then i mean my favorite i use I was in a fight stage combat class and we had to pick like a actual, like actual dialogue from something to use. Mm-hmm. And I picked this scene and I love the, uh, you're a jerk. <laughs> nice insult, Hannah Montana. Got any more harsh digs? Um, <laughs> <laughs> really good one. And then it gets interesting. Be- well, and then of course, like, I think this banter too really like is working like very much on like, okay, you know, when you have like a fight with someone that you've known for such a long time, and you're just like pulling out, you know, you, like, you know, the things to say that are going to like really, like, you know, enough yeah, to but know that's the her. thing. That's the thing is, again, that like, you know, earlier there was obviously a moment of vulnerability from Jennifer, but this mm-hmm. is the first moment where like needy sort of gets under her skin in a yeah, way. And she's like trying to reach, to. She, she's like trying to reach her the whole movie. And it's like, a, a, she's like a brick wall, but then she starts digging at her 
insecurity, mm-hmm. social standing, body image, and and that's what Jennifer's like, like really, really struck by it. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what cracks her. Um, and it's still like super funny dialogue, but it is like this. And this is also the first time you kind of see needy more like actively push back because all of her comments before, like Jennifer will just say like, but like something super fucked up and needy's kind of just like, okay, Jennifer, like, you know, just kind of like pushing it off or like, yeah, Jennifer will be, yeah. Needy will be like, what the fuck? But needy's not going to stoop to her level. Exactly. And this is, yeah, we kind of see her start to her pushback. Um, Also the very, very iconic. uh, I thought you only kill boys. I go both ways. Yeah. Um, which is really just, and also, I mean, interesting in the way that we've been talking about her other victims, because mm-hmm. Chip too is never like, he's never cons- like shown as super masculine. And as I said, he's literally being talked by Jennifer. Well, like, yeah, the whole, the whole, you know, he's got his lady's pepper spray, which he doesn't even use. Needy uses it. He doesn't really fight back at all. Like, I mean, like, you know, I mean, like she, not, he, he, he does the one thing. He does the one um, <laughs> in the initial, but it's just the two of them. Not that he really has a chance to, he gets thrown in the pool and then she's like attacking him. So I guess his, yeah, his more masculine, like his more empowered moment comes kind of after he's already been targeted. Immediately after the, I go both ways line that Chip comes in with the, with the, with the stab with the, what was it? Like a, just, just like it's a like, It's sign? those like, um, he come, it's those, you know, those pool cleaners with the really long pole and a net on the end? Yeah, that's right. That's he, right. He uses like the end of that and stabs her. And it's funny because like after, I mean, you know, we know that she has like restorative powers. So this isn't like fate, you know, it's not in the heart. Yeah, but it, it is a significant blow. It does yes. make her retreat and run out the window once again. And ask if anyone has a tampon. Yeah, ask, ask if ask if Nini has a tampon. And then, <laughs> I thought I'd ask. You seem like you might so be plugging. plugging. <laughs> um, and then we kind of have a very sincere moment between Chip and Nini. Yeah, Chip is mortally wounded off screen, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess it's impl- well because he has that line. He's like, I think I died. And then I heard your when voice. When I got here, and then yeah. Um, so it's possible. It, it it could be said that there's something about Needy and Chip's connection, or like the or 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 even something about Needy and Jennifer's connection that affects Chip, where like yeah. he was maybe being by Jennifer, maybe already at the point of no return, and then something about Jennifer having to something about Jennifer and Needy's dynamic sort yeah. of like keeps him alive for a little bit. So they have their moment, and it's sad he dies it's funny yeah. too because chip is such an interesting character in terms of like you never i don't think i ever watched the movie and i'm like oh like chip's like a bad boyfriend or chips i mean you have moments where you're like okay chip like I, I feel like you don't hate him or love him yeah there's you know he's um there are obviously all the moments where he's sort of dismissive of, yeah exactly of, of needy's uh you know what, what's what's going on with needy and you know thinks that she's traumatized that she she <laughs> is but which i guess could uh, yeah. be a fair assumption that like <laughs> i guess she did go through something but you know in the realm of the film it's definitely more just like a dismissive tone than like a yeah and i think we get the sense even though like the first we see of chip is like needy keeps a photo of him in the, in her like cell mm-hmm. i do i do kind of think that like there's an implication again by the fact that she doesn't talk about him in voiceover and like we sort of like our first interaction to him talking is kind of him sort of criticizing needy there is sort of a sense yeah. that it's not a perfect relationship at any right point. there's definitely yeah i mean i think that one of their more like most endearing moments is the end when with his death like that's like the close you know 
uh, the closest they've seen, or are like this. Mm-hmm. That's like the most heartfelt moment they share. Um, besides when he calls her soy sauce. Um, yeah. And <laughs> after this, we return to the uh, the opening. We return to the opening where where Needy. We did see in the beginning there is a shot of Needy like looking at Jennifer through the window and it seems sort of it seems sort of metaphorical at the beginning mm-hmm. and then we come back to it and it's like oh it's for real very very literal um oh yeah now we have new context for Jennifer's state yeah this is the moment where Needy exacts her revenge uh she enters and she's got the box cutter and there's the amazing interaction you know what this is for, for cutting boxes, cutting boxes. And Jennifer says, do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? God, you're butch. Butch. Uh, and then Needy's next line is cross out Jennifer. Slices a big X in her a- abdomen. Which is such, and here too, we have inner spurt. Am I right? Is there, does it cut in to a child? I think there is. I think there is a childhood moment that comes up a little bit in this scene. And it's uh, another sandbox moment. It's another sandbox moment. I don't remember what it was, but it probably was kind of meaningful I I was I was also thinking of there's a bit of a cutaway of like Needy in her room and Jennifer in her room and then mm-hmm. Needy kind of deciding to go and uh, she's changed yeah and a lot of this fight is like in the air like uh yeah Jennifer's hovering they yeah they're Jennifer levitating. hovers and they're fighting in the air and then so getting back to the connection right the yes. connection that's never explicitly explained that's what it was the I think the childhood flashback had something to do with the BFF necklace oh, okay. because yes the um the moment that weakens jennifer is when needy cuts like like pulls off the bff necklace Mm -hmm. and sends it flying and that brings jennifer back down onto her bed and ultimately leads to her so yeah the you know the um obviously the stab to the heart is what kills jennifer but Mm -hmm. there definitely seems to be this element of Jennifer and Needy's relationship is part of what's making Jennifer powerful. Yeah. It's interesting too, because Needy really only find like finds her power in like when Jennifer's weekend, like, I don't know. There's something about that kind of power dynamic, especially as we see it at the beginning at the very opening where Needy is in this like toughened position only after Jennifer, like, we don't know, Jennifer is dead, you know, like. There's definitely an interchange. I think there might be something to, we're talking about Jennifer emasculating her victims. And I wonder if, I wonder if part of the idea is, you know, when she talks about needing needy to be hopeless, maybe Mm -hmm. part of that is that a a similar form of like, you know, just making her, her victims powerless, or maybe it's the idea of like a vampire's victim versus a vampire's like ward. You know, where, where, I don't know. I think there's something really important in Jennifer wanting Needy to be hopeless. And I think it's just yeah. like, she, she gains power from Needy being in a position without power in their friendship. And it is like, like yeah. Diablo Cody said, this parasitic kind of friendship. And so I, I do sort of think that like part of what Jennifer wants is for Needy to be like com- completely at her service. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's hard to like, you know, when you see it at the beginning you know, pre uh, fire, um, like you see that dynamic, but it's still like you know, needy doesn't see it as like a as parasitic or as damaging until it becomes like a very literal like now Jennifer's like very literally killing things that are important to needy or Jennifer very literally needs to take away some like needs someone else to live, um, even though it's not inherently needy right away, but like Jennifer has to like. She can't be sustained without another 
person's downfall when, you know, in a very literal yeah. sense and her succubus nature. Um, yeah, just, I mean, we were at like the BFF necklace. It's like very tangible severing of that connection. Yeah. They sink back down onto the bed. Needy stabs Jennifer in the heart. It, uh, you know, fi- finally does the deed. And then Jennifer's mom or, <laughs> walks well, in. Well, I think the very important line, the my tit, no, your heart. Your heart. And the tit is what she used. Yeah, the tit is the, her like weapon. Yeah. And I'm seeing even just and, like the, I mean, obviously this isn't written in the script that way, but like the commentary um, from test audiences for more boobs <laughs> and, you know, this idea, like that was like her extra, I don't know, just like, I think it is very telling of that if we understand Jennifer in a, in a writing sense to be this kind of like hyped up alter ego, this like, that's kind of where her creation comes from. Mm-hmm. And so that like her murder to be like, like this very surface, like my tit and then no, your heart. I don't know. Just like the crumbling of this very surface thing to like what is underneath. And also just like, I think in the end, in retrospect, like seeing how things ended up being marketed and stuff too. It's a good last line for her to have definitely and you know the thing i was saying before about how she she called them smart bombs and she mm-hmm. obviously it's what she uses to seduce jonas and there's yeah. like even I, honestly in all of the seduction scenes there's like there, there there's that shot of her like unzipping what, whatever mm-hmm. whatever she's wearing and we get we get a lot of like cleavage shots in those moments it's definitely sort of emphasizing the 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 power of of her body that she uses as a it's kind a of an inverse you mentioned the jonas it's kind of that inverse because when she like when she places his hand on like what is very clearly on her tit she says my can you feel my heart it's breaking so there's this kind of uh flippy do if you that's that's the proper term um if you will yes so jennifer's mom walks in on needy with the box cutter still in jen's heart needy says in voiceover i don't know who needy list nikki is anymore and we sort of come back to the present day where she's in solitary confinement and she's you know being fed her dinner through a through a little slot and she points out that if you're bitten by a demon and you live as she was you just might absorb some of the demon's abilities <laughs> now she says that she says that i think mm-hmm. there is an interpretation of this movie where the demon has has entered her yeah where she is that i mean especially given her complete change in her not just in ability but in demeanor mm-hmm. it's also interesting too honestly just thinking about her nickname as being needy And the kind of relationship we're talking about where, you know, we were highlighting like Jennifer's need for needy as a kind of like, you know, you can't be on top if there's not someone beneath you. Um, Right. But then also, you know, obviously like needy gets something out of this too um, for her, you know, and it's interesting her being the one who's like given that nickname, that moniker instead of Jennifer when it's kind of Jennifer whose power is reliant on yeah interesting yeah it is it is and i i think that um there's also there are also just little things like the fact that at the beginning of that climactic fight Mm -hmm. needy says a prayer to you know crush this bitch yeah and then she does and then in in the presentation she's talking about how prayer doesn't work yeah so so there's little things that it's like maybe maybe something's shifted in needy and it's not just you know, her, her success. Because I think in the, at the opening scene when she mentions like praying for people to come, you know, come off the cross, but they never do. She's looking at, she's looking at something with Chip 
or yeah she, there's a picture of chip, chip on her right? uh windowsill yeah and then but his line in that movie is like you know i i think i died and then heard your voice and came back mm-hmm. so there's this you know that's true and also just like the the fact that she doesn't talk about chip and she's you know tells her whole story around jennifer so it sort of to me indicates that like this version of needy who's telling this story is not entirely the same needy who's in the story yeah no i agree i think there could definitely be an argument made for that because she i mean it's not like she's the same person but with a power now like she yeah. is fundamentally a different very different yes super strong floating uh exits through windows yeah escapes <laughs> as 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 jennifer does and speaking of things coming back we find the bowie knife after you know as she makes her way out she she heads the to the falls and she finds the bowie knife having returned from the, from hole, the hole as things never do and also some of those red balls are those there balls, too yeah just to, yeah to make it clear like it's just some spot off the road that no one thought to look for yeah. so that knife has returned to her and this is where it really becomes like this is what's so interesting too is that this is like the like vengeance moment of the film she finds the knife she hitchhikes um do you remember what the guy says to her the older like she uh older guy picks yeah her. she um, says she's going to a concert because she's following a band and she's like they, this is their last this is gonna be their last show um yeah and he says uh they you know they must be some band and he's like uh i don't know he says he says some old dude thing i feel like it's something like you gotta be careful at, you, you don't know what kind of sickos are out there or some i don't know I feel like yeah, it's don't probably know. something along the lines of that uh she like i said she says she's heading towards madison which is i mean devil's kettle is real so like we we are located in a real place geographically mm-hmm. but that's the first like you know like i said it's sort of just referred to as the city up until this point yeah. so there's you know definitely sort of a change in that and then the last shot of the like film as it's, is yeah. is the car driving out of Devil's Kettle towards the highway, which is mm-hmm. which is an interesting thing. And then also there's a sign on the side that says low shoulder. low shoulder. And I think it's very interesting that, and then we go into Violet by Hole as our credit sequence song, uh, which is from the same album as Jennifer's Body. But interestingly, they did not use the, the song, song Jennifer's Body, Body yeah. which also would have been pretty fitting for what they do. But um it's interesting that they make this like kind of major sequence of, you know, basically this, the credit sequence is that she finds low shoulders and like slaughters them, but it's told mostly through photographs or like little bursts of film. Yeah. I um, thought it was a really cool little like storytelling device to be using like paparazzi photos, photos. and like their own, I really their like, own, how it like photographer's out. footage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's like, you could tell a whole movie that way. Of just like the, you know, the, the the paparazzi videos of this band who are about to be killed by the by Needy. Mm-hmm. And it ends with Needy like you know, making a clean getaway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's something nice to you about like, you know, obviously their whole you know, their whole reasoning for murdering Jennifer is you know, achieve fame and success. So I think to show that downfall through paparazzi shots is a really cool way to end. Yeah, it's just fun. It's funny that we get such a big moment you know like truly after the film is already closed out um i mean you know it's obviously still very much part of the film but like it's still the t- you know end credit sequence so and yeah. this is i mean it's just interesting that it's needy who ends up getting that revenge and not jennifer and you have to wonder like is it on behalf of Je- like who is it really on behalf of right because i mean i mean i, I mean certainly 
I, I think Needy feels that like she gained like like whatever she gained from Jennifer, whether that was whether that was sex or romance or mm-hmm. just power. She feels that she gained something from Jennifer that was lost because of this. And maybe, you know, after all that, I can't imagine that she's just like, I mean, maybe it's like I lost my friend uh, because of this. Or maybe it's like I, you know, you've wronged me by taking Jennifer away from me. So now I'm going to. Yeah. It's also interesting that you mentioned the shot of like, you know, going from a small town into like onto the highway into the big city. Because it's not like city and... Uh, country is such a huge dynamic in horror films it either going both ways like someone from the country coming to the city and there's like a urban kind of horror like you know whatever that means in the context of the film or vice versa of someone entering the country and that's where the horror lies but it's uh, yeah you know obviously it doesn't really become a huge a huge part of it we don't even really know what nick where nick lies from um, if he is, in fact, from the big city or a small town, such as this one. But just that that's kind of the ending ending moment. is some, It's definitely a, another element of horror films that's like pretty uh, instrumental in a lot of films or just a construct that is definitely played with in a lot of ways in other films. Definitely. And, and I think just like getting more overall about it, I think that... Um small town environment is very crucial to like what this film is set and I think talking about the potential for this movie having like a broader allegorical meaning I do think that you know the the small town is so often representative of just just like you know America quote-unquote or especially the midwest I think is kind of you know this like epitomous just like the average American person yeah and that comes up in horror a ton if you think about like Halloween or you, you, you know I mean Halloween sort of started that but everything everything since every horror movie is sort of set in like some suburb where this you know, could be your yeah. yeah but so I, I definitely think that um it's it's playing off of that trope in ways and in the ways that it's playing off of a lot of tropes but I also think that there could be something there about like if the film is saying something about America which I'll get into mm-hmm. in a bit then you know, to set it in that place that is often in cinema treated as a stand-in for America, you know, and these these outside forces mm-hmm. coming into, the, you know, there, there, there could be something to think about there. Returning to the idea of it being, you know, putting it in the context of Juno, I mean, certainly all of Diablo's Cody's, uh, Diablo Cody's movies are about uh, womanhood mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, coming yeah. of age as a woman uh, at, at various points in, in a woman's life um, from Juno probably being the youngest to uh, Ricky and the Flash I guess being mm-hmm. the oldest but um, the you know I think that apart from being about sex and sexuality and female friendship and stuff I do I, I do think there's maybe something to the idea of this is just like an anthology of the the, the horror of life as a woman yeah. basically um, and taking it in a much more obviously a literal way than in something like Juno, which you could take that premise and make it a horror. I mean, we said like unwanted pregnancy, like can't be right for some, you know, can definitely be played with in a horror setting. But, you know, it's interesting to seeing, because, you know, Diablo Cody obviously has like a very stylized way of writing in terms of like dialogue and the way and how she writes yeah, um, yeah. and how things are delivered. And that was an in- another interesting critique I kept seeing. I mentioned, you know, earlier, but like, people saying that like in Juno that dialogue fits or like that it um, makes sense within like the character of Juno. And for some reason, there seemed to be a lot more critique of it in, in Jennifer's body 
or at least from things I was reading from 2009. Yeah, I think part of that comes from the marketing angling towards horror as much as it does. And part of that is the movie itself angling towards horror in certain moments. I think there there was, I mean, obviously Diablo Cody talked about how she originally just wanted to make a horror movie. Yeah. Um, and I think there could have been tonal things. I think there's more of an idea of like doing weird art house horror today than there was in, you know, oh, nine. For sure. So like, like there's, I think that tone could have been balanced better if it were made today, but yeah. I was trying to think too of like what horror films were doing in like 2009. And I feel like there's definitely a lot of uh, reboots. Like- Friday the 13th got a reboot, I think, in 2009. When I think of, like, that kind of era in horror, I have, like, a very specific uh, color composition and, like, that everything is very, like, uh, gritty. And, like, do you remember, like, early seasons of, like, Supernatural? I don't know if you ever watched. They all have that kind of, like, a a look. And I think there was a lot of remakes happening in the 2000s of, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Fred 13th. Like, uh, a lot of those were, I mean, those are always being rebooted and redone because they're the slashers, but, like... And there were... There were the, the the original trends in horror of that time. I think of Saw and um, Paranormal Activity might have been uh, that, yeah, this year probably, or shortly thereafter. Um, so the, you know, we, we see a lot of this insidious, yeah, this this, this tendency. And again, this the, that sort of tone you were talking about earlier, that very sort of gritty and, um, you know, sort of green and blue. Yeah, there's a very specific color palette, which is interesting, but like, you also kind of go in like like James Wan or so like you're going in and you're expecting to be like jump scare you know there's like a yeah definitely a heavier emphasis on delivering big like big scares or big that was kind of what was expected of horror like you said I don't think art house horror was like as I mean I, you know people are always, always going to be making indie movies and stuff but like I don't in terms of blockbuster films it wasn't that wasn't what was being given at the time. Yeah, and I think there were there were, you know, horror directors who were kind of auteurs in this time. Just if you look at like a James Wan or Rob Zombie or um uh, Eli, uh, Eli 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 Roth is a great answer. Yeah, that was, that was someone I was thinking of. Yeah, but they were sort of Apparently not... there's like a brat pack of them. I was like felt on a Wikipedia oh, hole. Yeah. There's like a brat pack of like you know of horror filmmakers from that era. And I mean like the ones you meant. I don't know if Zombie's considered in it, although he's definitely making a lot of the films of that era. But like Roth and Juan definitely are. Yeah, um, the uh, the Splat Pack. The Splat Pack. Uh, <laughs> there's the guy who did. There's like an Australian dude. Um, I have it here. It's uh, Neil Marshall, Eli Roth, Robert Rodriguez, James Wan, Lee Winnell, Rob Zombie. Yeah, okay, Evan yeah. Green. It, it's, it's, it's it goes people on. People are very much doing their own thing in horror in this era, but are very much seen are very much seen as like sort of in a schlocky like cult uh, zone. Yeah. They're not taken uh, very seriously. A lot of those people have had kind of reassessments in recent Re- years. I mean, Eli Roth is his own. He's got like a history of horror show. I've never seen it, but he's got his own. He's got a show. Yeah, I think I I, I feel like Roth is sort of more respected in this area. Obviously, James Wan is uh, and, and, and Lee Winnell is mm-hmm. a huge deal right now. Invisible Man was Alexander Aja had um, something kind of recently. I don't know if it was really critically. He had Crawl. That was him crawl that's true yeah um because he and he did descent right that's him descent is neil marshall no Mar- okay but, uh, who, who also he did uh the reckoning last year which i guess was not such a big deal either but he's the i don't know he's a, he's an english guy he did the the hellboy reboot in 2019 okay that was one of them did bad, like but wolf creek like there's some 
yeah, they all have a very specific color. <laughs> I call it palette too, but there's definitely like. But they're all people specific... who, if you think about, if you think about today's new horror people, though, like your Jordan Peele and your Ari Aster, like, yeah, there's no reason that if these directors were around today, I think they could fit into that camp. Yeah. And they are around today, but like if they were new today, yeah, they, they, would, they would still be part be of that scene. I think it's also interesting too because I think most of those directors. Well, I can't say I know all of their works, but like. James Wan, for instance, like his canon is pretty much all horror film, right? Like he hasn't done a lot outside of that. Yeah. Has he? He did Aquaman, which is. Which no, is great, but, <laughs> I do um... forget about um, he got his block, but like. And he did. He did a Fast and Furious movie, too. But um, and Malignant, which is not really horror, but it was marketed as horror. Giallo, yeah, it's <laughs> an interesting. I had interesting thoughts about it. Um, so I feel like, too, I mean it's hard for me to gauge how well-known Karen Kusama would have been. Like, obviously, she, you know, we, we mentioned the two films that kind of put her on there, but she wasn't, like, known yeah. for horror, um, right? I mean, Girl Fight and then... No, certainly not. Certainly not at the Jennifer's Body point. Like, she got into horror from doing Jennifer's, Jennifer's Body, basically. So I think there's something to that, too, in that, like, people are coming in not knowing what to expect because you have Diablo Cody doing yeah. the writing, Karen Kusama's directing... Megan Fox is actually, Megan Fox hasn't been in a horror film. I mean, she's been in action film. She hasn't been in anything like horror. I mean, a safe room hat. Like, yeah, I, I I think the choice to really lean into the horror and the erotic elements from the marketing side, yeah. if they had marketed this as the follow-up to Juno, I think it would have been met with a, a very weird reaction still. Yes. And that, it seems like they did get some of that from, from tests. It's interesting too. I like, I'm not always super smart about talking about movies, but I love horror films. Like that's my, mm-hmm. definitely, if I had to choose a genre, that is my favorite. It would be that. I've been very, I'll tell you my Blair Witch story some other time, but I was very like obsessed with them as a kid. Um, very, very young age. And my parents like indulged me. Like I was allowed to watch a lot of them growing up or read a lot. Um, and so a part of me wishes I had gotten to see Jennifer's body when I was a kid. Because I feel it'd be cool mm-hmm. to have that. Pers- like things are, I think things feel scarier or less scary. Like, you know, you react to things differently when you're 10 versus watching something as like an 18 year old or something, whatnot. But I do still like, I do still think of it as fundamentally a horror film. And so it's interesting trying to think of it, how it fits in, in that universe. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe the environment that I watched it in, which was with friends at a party, sort of fed into this. But no, and that's, I mean, like I'm also trying to write about it as a horror. So, you know, like I'm looking for those, th- you know, trying to pull those things out more. So. Yeah, but just as I said at the beginning, I do sort of see it fundamentally as a comedy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't go in with that expectation. I think if it had been marketed just as a comedy starring Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried, there would have there would have been a weird reaction. But I think that could have been sort of the middle ground where it's not quite like Juno, but like it does fit into that world mm-hmm. in terms of like just how people interact with each other and the, the, the kind of like very grounded in a sense, but also very heightened in yeah. the sense of like J.K. Simmons having a, a metal arm and shit. Yeah, <laughs> like... I, mean, I think especially too, because like this is more, I mean, there's so many slasher films that take place in like the realm of teenagers. Um, whereas like Juno is a film that's like about teens, but it feels much more grounded in like the reality of teens. Whereas this is like a very heightened reality of teenagers and middle and high, not middle school, sorry, high school, because it's taking like, you know, like these, like said, kind of like parasitic girls, like childhood friendships and making them something like very literally insidious. Whereas like the dynamics between teens and Juno are much more like it with, with that same kind of dialogue and whatever, but are still very grounded in like, like nothing that happens in Juno is like out of 
the realm of realism. Yeah, but I think I, I think there are still I, I think there are larger than life characters that yeah. sort of I, I I think part of what was so appealing about Juno, in addition to that frankness and that you know you, you know addressing the issue of of wanted pregnancy head on and taking kind of a nuanced uh, look at it. I also think that having that unique tone because Juno very much fits into that tradition in the two thousands of like sort of mumblecore comedies that post clerks sort of thing. Yeah. You think of Napoleon Dynamite and some of yeah. these other like 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 it fits into that tradition as well. In addition to being like a real a, a real great drama. Yeah, Napoleon Dynamite is an interesting one too because that also has like this it almost feels like it exists in another time. Like when you're watching it, like it does, you know, it very much is, was current, but also still has this other sense of reality. I also think that um, it's sort of in, I mean, we're talking about Halloween and I, you know, I guess Carrie too, but it is, you know, talking about it being old school, it sort of fits into that John Carpenter sort of like before horror, before horror was like as like really established tropes as it was in the mid to late eighties. I think there was this era where it was like, you know, horror movies were just kind of about weird vibes and they were kind of campy and people were sort of figuring out the right way to do them. But I wanted to uh, just just talking about takes and sort of concluding the uh, the Jennifer's body talk. I did want to sort of build out my 9-11 thing. Yes, I want to hear it. As uh, now we've got the full picture of the yeah, film. Yeah, the fact that it's so the fact that it's so emphasized and like a, a few times in a row in those early scenes definitely mm-hmm. made me think that it's like something to be thought about as you continue watching the movie. And I just think that like you know we talk about the meaning behind the names, and mm-hmm. uh, this is true of a lot of Diablo Cody stuff. But you know she's obviously talked a lot about what needy means. And I've never seen her really talk about why Jennifer is named Check. Uh huh. I actually think that she did. And she talked about like, you know, how it relates to the crossing out thing. And yeah. it's like, and it's like Jennifer check, needy check. Uh-huh. Um, but I think there's an element here where talking about the devil's kettle representing like middle America mm-hmm. and like this, you know, this sort of hegemonic idea, I think needy can sort of be seen as a representative of, you know, the American, obviously like a big plot of this movie in a lot of ways one of the, a focal point of this movie is um low shoulders exploitation of the tragedy mm-hmm. at melody lane and yeah. um we see a lot of how everyone's suddenly depressed and how hope seems to be drained from the community and there are these few key moments where jennifer talks about wanting needy to be hopeless mm-hmm. and um basically i see jennifer check as representing you know money or greed something uh-huh. to that effect and uh, Needy's always had an unhealthy relationship with her, but the, the tragedy and the opportunists who were quick to take advantage of it and might have been responsible for it in a way mm-hmm. um, ter- turn Jennifer into a monster. And suddenly her goal becomes consuming everything that Needy loves. Mm-hmm. Like she, she, she sort of goes into uh, overdrive, I guess you could say, yeah. leaving her hopeless, making her completely dependent on and exploitable mm-hmm. by her. And it ends with Needy finally breaking free from her and killing her, which of course has her put behind bars, but she uses Jennifer's powers to break out and uh-huh. go after Low Shoulder, unless you follow this interpretation that maybe she's been possessed by that demon. So I basically just think that the the allegorical message there is about how uh, how Bush took advantage of the tragedy to uh, enter into Iraq and uh-huh. how greed was a motivating factor in that and how just sort of the fallout of that sent, I mean, 
mean, you know, Bush talking about how you're patriotic if you, mm-hmm. you know, spend a bunch of money, like and buy buy a bunch of products. I just think that um, how 9/11 sent American capitalism into overdrive and sort of this, mm-hmm. this, you know, feeding era where if you think about this movie came out and was written during the recession yeah. in 2007 to 2009, I definitely think that, um, and, and I think it makes sense that Diablo Cody would not want to give a bunch of interviews about how that's what the movie's about right. <laughs> because like, at, at the time, and I think looking at what the crowd for it has become in terms of like the, the feminist reading of it and the queer reading of mm-hmm. it, I think she's sort of be, been willing to lean in that direction. But I do think that that allegory is, is very much present. present in it. And it's interesting too, because I mean, like the exploitation outside of like the literal exploitation of Jennifer and her body and like her as a woman, as a person, the exploitation of the isn't really talked about in like in in reviews or in like uh in analysis of it it's kind of like incidental this kind of tragedy that's being exploited at the center of this the focus is always I've never I've I've never seen a review of Jennifer's body that talks about it exactly (laughs) that's what I'm saying yeah like so I think but it's obviously critical to the film so I I mean you know when you say it at first I'm sure people are like okay but I mean you really dig into I mean because it obviously is at the center of it especially when you're breaking down some of the stuff uh or just like putting more emphasis on some of J.K. Simmons speeches or like his little moments yeah. right after it, can't you, let the fire win yeah like, that, that, that I mean blew me away I was like, like wait, wait a minute, minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean because you know it's so easy to like read like like the 9-11 shooter like the drink and just be like it's so funny like um because it is but to think of it maybe as more of like a very overt call to like notice the themes being yeah, picked and then up. you can read you can you can read meaning into Jennifer dating a cop like you know mm-hmm. the, there are a lot of things that sort of make a little more sense when you put that framework on top yeah. of yeah it. it's interesting too because you know obviously like when I write about it it's going to be from a very I'm looking to be looking at a lot more like very specific specific tropes but it's interesting I love hearing other people like what other people pick up on during films because you just never you know, I've watched this movie maybe probably like six or seven times, which isn't like crazy amount, but you know, like enough that you, when you on rewatches, you start picking up on stuff. And I never, well done. I, I think it's a good case for it. I'd be interested to hear, uh, cause I'm sure no one's ever asked her, right? Yeah, like who's ever been like, hey, definitely... <laughs> is this movie about 9-11? <laughs> yeah. I, if she ever gives like another public interview, please go and just be like, um, <laughs> absolutely Riddle if i ever this. get the chance that's something that i'll ask her and i love her by the way me and cody like i said i might do a, a whole episode that's just about like her career yeah. and you know the the things and so that conversation about juno i think would would come up more if we come back to it in that. yeah because i like like you said i think people tend to like kind of consider it as like a um like a notable like i'm sorry i can't think of the word outside of the rest of her work yeah, an exception. And I think people do the same thing with uh, Ricky and the Flash, which is... Is that uh, the which, one with Meryl? I haven't seen it. Wait. Yeah, it's the one with Meryl. It's, uh, yeah, it was it was another movie that was kind of a flop at the time uh-huh. and uh, has not really had that reevaluation yet. But I think that if you look at, again, the elements of womanhood and the, you know, the sort of different stages of it I definitely think there's something in I haven't seen Ricky in the flesh all the way through yeah and it's it's been a long time so I definitely need to revisit it but I mean even just you think about uh Mark being a rock star in Juno or, or a former rock star in Juno and then the the elements of of the rock star in this movie mm-hmm. and of course Ricky in the flesh being about a rock star like like there are there are yeah. things that come together and all in all of them 
Yeah, that's the one thing too that's been so interesting. I mean, just to touch on like, you know, Juno's a movie I definitely did watch when it came out and was like a big, like probably one of my favorite films, like as like a young adult and still now. And that's been rewatching it. Mark has been the character. And it's just like, oh, you, you rewatch and you're like, it becomes so much more uncomfortable. Um, and I guess I hadn't even really thought about his status as uh, this kind of like wannabe rocker and how we kind of see, like, you know, that's kind of like a real, like what that exploitation could look like really blown into a new proportion with Nikolai, which also I think it's really funny that his name is Nikolai. Like, it feels like he yeah. gave himself that name for the band for sure. It's pretty good. And the um, Cody argued, and I haven't seen Young Adult recently enough to, to comment on this, mm-hmm. but Cody argued in our last episode that uh, Young Adult is basically Charlize Theron playing Mark. Mm. Yeah, because sometimes you like you see the ending of that film and you wonder like, all right, what did Mark do? You just moved to Chicago and get a loft? Like whatever, you know, what did he end up doing with his life? Because um, yeah, that's like, he never grew up, you know. I, but I am really interested in this idea of like like this extra villainous version of Mark kind of coming to life in Jennifer's body is like, you know, what could have happened if he had... Uh, if he had found success when he was a kid, yeah. Yeah, or that same <laughs> desire for exploitation, that same kind of discomfort, um, but taken out of the like framing of Juno and put into, you can give it, make a it more explicitly context. horror. Yeah, that's why, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a really big fan of horror as it exists uh, and I think there's more leaning into it now in more recent films. And like, I mean, like I just did my little horror film um, for my my own work. And I'm a big fan of uh, discomfort in in kind of everyday thing or uh, everyday things. Yeah. I mean, talking about movies that are about, um, you know, elements of womanhood and the, the, the rape revenge sort of genre that we were talking about. Promising Young Woman is a very recent example mm-hmm. of a movie that... I think definitely has a lot of horror influences in it and is sort of overall, I guess it's, I guess you could call it a crime movie. There are comedy elements and there are horror yeah. elements in it for sure though. And um, I think people are much more open in allowing horror to be less of an explicit like slasher or genre, like, uh, you know, horror is a bubble that has like, a lot of its own genres and are more open to kind of allowing horror to be like a emotional unsettling and, and mm-hmm. less of like mm-hmm. an explicit like you know you know thriller and horror I think can those lines can change a lot and I'm not one who totally like knows the huge distinction for myself but I think there is a much more much more openness now to horror being like um with Ari Aster with other people too like just letting it be um not just straight up like slasher and kind of have allowing it to kind of be just unsettling and not need like yeah and also, like I said, more um, more allowance for the presence of horror elements in, Other, in all kinds of movies. Yeah, Ella, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Very. Uh, I don't know how much of the conversation we just had is not going to be uh, in, in the episode, <laughs> but I do think that um, we had a great talk. We, had, and we yes. I, I learned a lot. I'm, I was very excited to hear a new take on Jennifer's body an unexpected take and uh, a hot take nonetheless. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I, you're welcome back anytime. You're a great guest oh, to have. Thank and, you. Thank um, you. To the, to the people listening. Thank you for uh, listening through what I'm sure is a pretty long episode <laughs> yeah. and uh, I will see you next week.
disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.